0: Hey everybody. This episode of the Joe Rogan Experience is brought fucking said it again. Said my name. Should say the podcast. The experience. Brought to you by Stamps.com. What Stamps dot com is, is a method that allows you to use US postal service Um, To print us postal service right from your home computer right from your office computer right from your desktop just a regular old computer and a regular old printer you can print official us postage for any letter any package any class of mail all for a fraction of the cost of an expensive postal meter. And if you go to Stamps.com, you never have to go to the post office again. It's so easy. With this deal that we offer you, if you click on the old school microphone in the upper right-hand corner of Stamps.com, you enter in the promo code JRE, you get a no-risk trial, $110 bonus offer, which includes a free digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. Then you take your packages, you weigh them, you calculate all the jazz, print out official U.S. postage, slap it on the old box, postman comes hand it to him and you're diggity diggity done that's it you don't have to go to the post office you don't have to wait in line you don't have to talk to some completely undermotivated and underwhelmed person who really doesn't want to be there at all much rather beat you over the head with a club than weigh your stupid fucking packages you don't have to do any of that all you have to do is go to stamps.com and sign up for this offer And before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in JRE, that's stamps.com, and enter in JRE. It's easy, it's convenient, and you remove stress and hassle from your life. If you own a small business or if you regularly send out packages of varying weights and sizes, this is the way to go, kid. Trust me. Stamps.com. And remember, before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in JRE for your $110 bonus offer. We'll also, we're also brought to you by LegalZoom. LegalZoom is a fantastic way to deal with, uh, well, I like stamps.com, you can deal with shit from your home that you would ordinarily have to go somewhere for. With LegalZoom, you could deal with so many legal issues without having to schedule an appointment with a lawyer on their time, drive through traffic, park, sit down, pay an exorbitant amount of money to some person, again, who doesn't really want to fucking talk to you, they just want your cash, you could do all that stuff at home and do it for a fraction of the cost and do it quite easily you can form an LLC or incorporate to start your own business very easy to do you can apply for a patent to secure an invention register your trademark to protect your products and services and you can do it all drunk and naked no one can stop you. You can take illegal drugs and do something legal. Do you know that? I'm not, I'm not advising it, but if you so chose to do it, it is your right as a person. As long as you do everything correctly and everything's filled out the way it's supposed to be, You're good, and if it's not filled out the way it's supposed to be, here's the beauty of LegalZoom. LegalZoom can connect you to a third-party independent attorney if you're in a cold sweat panic and you think that you've done something illegal. If you filled out the forms and you're like, this shit is not going to fly, you can contact LegalZoom and they will hook you up with a third-party attorney. LegalZoom is not a law firm, but they do provide you with legal self-help through independent attorneys. See, legal self-help is the way to do it. If you can get things done like filing patents, like forming LLCs, forming a will, you can even get divorced. Shh. You can get divorced through LegalZoom. And they have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. You can't go wrong with that. A plus, not A minus, not B plus, A plus from the Better Business Bureau. Over the past 14 years, they've helped over a million businesses get started right. Go to LegalZoom.com and when you go through the month of June, and you can get a special price on trademark, copyright, or provisional patent applications by using the referral code ROGAN at checkout. Celebrate innovation with LegalZoom through the end of June. Remember, LegalZoom is not a law firm, but they do provide you with legal help through independent attorneys. Someone's trying to fucking text me in the middle of a goddamn podcast. I guess they don't listen. Anyway, go to LegalZoom.com, use the code word Rogan at checkout. You hear that weird noise? You hear that? You don't hear that? I think it's the phone. I think if I put my phone near my computer, they'd, they'd fucking argue with each other telepathically. Probably. It's probably what it is. Um, that's it. LegalZoom.com. Use the code word Rogan. We're also brought to you by Ting. Ting is a mobile service that does things differently, do things on on their own terms. And what that means is they buy time through the Sprint backbone. They use Sprint, so you get the exact same service that you get with Sprint, but you get it with no contracts, no early termination fees, no nonsense. They don't trick you, and there's a lot of ways that cell phone companies make money. And one of the ways they make money is they, they charge you for X amount Per month like you know you have a deal where you you know you get 1200 minutes a month or whatever the hell it is but when you do that most of the time you're not using those minutes but you're still paying for those minutes the way ting does it it's a very smart and I and I think it's a better way and I think it's the only way that they're gonna do it in the future what what they do is you pay for what you use if you use a lot you pay more if you use very little you pay less and 98% of people would save money using Ting. That's a pretty incredible statistic. If you go to Ting's website, go to rogan.ting.com, they'll explain the whole thing to you. $21 is the average monthly bill per device for Ting customers. That's amazing. Because you'd be, you'd be surprised at how little, when you, when you look at these service minutes, you know, you know, like 100 minutes a month, 200 minutes a month, most of the time people are texting each other these days. And if you call me a lot, man, most of the time I don't pick up the phone. I don't spend a lot of time calling people. $440 is the average annual savings per device for a business with 1 to 20 employees. So, if you have a business, Ting is the way to go if you want to set up business phones. And you have many options as far as the phones themselves. You have all of the best Android phones that are available today. And you buy them. You don't see the thing about when you go to one of the big name cell phone companies. And you get a phone, you're not actually buying the phone. Like if you pay $200 for a phone, you're not really paying $200 for that phone. The phone costs probably five or 600 bucks, and you think you're paying $200, but the, the other 300 to $400, you're paying off over the course of your contract. That's why if you try to leave, they stick it to you, and they make you pay what you owe them. So it's, that's what a contract termination fee is. What it's all about is... You still owe money on a device. You essentially leased a device. Ting doesn't handle it that way at all. With Ting, everything that you you, you purchase, with, that they sell at ting.com, rogan.ting.com, are the, are the finest cell phones available today. Like the <coughs> excuse me, Samsung Galaxy S5, which is water-resistant, just added, water-resistant. If you're a fucking dork like me and you spill shit. That's the way to go. They have uh, the HTC One M8, all the best new Android phones. The Samsung Galaxy Note 3, which I use. Fantastic phone. You can draw on it. It has a pen. How can you go wrong? And if you're like one of those old crazy grandmas, they have flip phones. They have everything. And uh, as cheap as 42 bucks, you can get a phone for 42 bucks, which is kind of ridiculous in this day and age. And when you buy it for 42 bucks, you actually buy it for 42 bucks. And if you know, you know, you try it for a while and you go, you know what? I want to cancel. Just cancel. That's it. You don't have to worry about shit. It's a beautiful, ethical way to do business. And the results have been fantastic. Massive, massive public... Um positive feedback that I've received from all the people that have switched over to Ting, saved money, love the company, love the idea behind the company, and love the fact that they have a wide selection of devices. So go to rogan.ting.com today and save yourself some cash, kids. Alright, my friend Steve Hilton is here. We're gonna talk about all kinds of groovy shit. Let's cue the music. Go Rogan podcast. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train my day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Steve Hilton, my friend. Politics are dirty
1: business. Very dirty, but just before we get into that, Joe, I just want to say you've already really offended me. <laughs> Fantastic. So I just want to show you my phone. Oh, what have you got? Here it is. Oh, flip phone. So I I am, am, in your words,
0: an old, crazy grandma. Well, I have many friends that carry old flip phones. I'm glad that you're actually just carrying a phone. Exactly. This is a very new development for me. Well, it's a
1: good move. So everyone's been telling me I've got to have a phone. I had not... Had a phone for many years. <laughs> Finally, I, I buckled under the pressure and I got one of these.
0: Yeah, Steve. Um, we became friends in Hawaii. Our fa- our family. Uh, we're all friends. It's a it's a very cool little uh, development. I, right. I really enjoy it. But I, I think it. I think it's quite hilarious that uh, y- your wife is involved in Google and you avoid phones at all costs you avoid technology you feel that it's too entrenched in our life this sort of uh, digital web that we've all been connected to yeah i'm trying to fight it joe it's tough you know it's an uphill <laughs> struggle. just shut them off though that's the beautiful thing when well, you don't th- want to use them you shut them off yeah but they're
1: there they're kind of nagging away gnawing mm, at you, you that's know. discipline yeah you gotta I meditate that's
0: probably right well i feel that there's benefits and there's certainly negatives to phones. But I think the positive aspects outweigh the negative. I, I like being able to communicate with friends and family and loved ones and send texts and I I I, I find it incredibly addictive, though, and I think it becomes, I was out at dinner the other day with a bunch of friends, and everyone was on their goddamn phone. There was five of us, and and I was, like, sitting around the table, looking at everybody texting and tweeting and taking photos. I'm like, we're not even here right now. I'm like, you guys are, you're connected to this digital world. You talk about how awesome it is to be here, but you're not even here. barely paying attention. That's right.
1: And and there's new sort of etiquette developing about, Mm -hmm. you know, how to handle this. When there's, I think I was reading something about where you've got eight people around a table having dinner and it's okay for three of them to be looking at their devices. That's okay. (laughs) But if it gets to more than three, someone's got to look up because that's the rule. Uh, So, you know. Who says? Says who? Establish what? I don't
0: get it. It's just... It's just like anything else. I mean, if you're at a bar with some friends and one guy's just watching TV only and not engaging in a conversation, that's just as rude. Yeah, I think that's right. I find it fascinating um, how my children react to devices. That's where I really get a sense of it because they don't have a cultural context. You know, when my four-year-old Watches television or watches devices, and I'll stand in front of her, watches watching TV, and she just reaches up and tries to move me. Yeah. Like she doesn't give a fuck what I'm thinking. Like she's just trying to watch this
1: program. Yeah, you literally can't get in between at yeah. that point. It's like I've really noticed that if you just, you know, they're watching something, that's it. You it's know, Captain you may, Reed. you may have been away for a week and you haven't seen them, <laughs> and they're desperate to see you. But if there's something on TV at yeah. that point not oh, interested.
0: Yeah, it trumps everything. It trumps all human interaction. And it's, it's very weird how it does it. It does it in this strange, hypnotic way. There's nothing else on earth that gets a four-year-old to just sit there.
1: Yeah. Motionless. That's right. And engage. But it literally stimulates parts of the brain. There's a lot of quite interesting brain science about what's going on when yeah. when kids watch TV. And it's generally fine. But when it gets to a point where they're watching you know, more than two or three hours a day, and a lot of kids these days are in that situation, it literally starts rewiring their brain. Yeah,
0: it's not healthy to to completely entrench yourself in that world and to be in that world all day every day but a lot of people do because it's possible but i think that's just like everything else it's like i like the option to be able to buy a cheeseburger i don't think you should eat cheeseburgers every day all day but i like it if i want one if i'm driving by in and out i'm like let's do it you know it's it's not the best food for you but i like the option i totally agree with that i like that for television i like i like watching swamp people you ever watch that (laughs) fucking terrible show about a bunch of people alligator hunting and it's 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 the most predictable show of all time because they're they look for alligators and occasionally they get alligators but there's nothing unusual happens they don't run into a a giraffe like who the fuck there's a giraffe in the swamp no it's just alligators and these people with these strange southern accents in boats and they have fishing line they catch the alligator with fishing line that sometimes they shoot the alligators but it's just alligator hunters but they call it swamp people
1: yeah, I haven't seen that. I'm not sure that's going to be top of my list. But uh, you should invest. In you should
0: invest. But your you're time. right about
1: you know doing doing a little bit of everything. I remember when um, do you remember when that movie came out about McDonald's Super Size Me? Yes, and um, this guy got ill and fat mm-hmm. and whatever. It was Morgan Spurlock, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Um, you know, he made, a, he made a good point. But my favorite response to that was from McDonald's. When the the guy who runs McDonald's in Australia went on... They took commercials and they went on air when there's this big PR storm about the terrible McDonald's food and all this kind of stuff. And he he went on air with these commercials. Um, I'm going to now attempt very badly an Australian accent. Okay. Although most people here probably couldn't tell the difference between the British and Australian. one. Anyway, so whatever, you know, it's all the same. I know, I get it, I get it. And he goes and said, um, apparently there's some bloke who's going around saying, if you eat too much of our food and don't take any exercise, you get fat. Well, I could have told you that. (laughs) I just a really sweet response, which is, yeah, if you're just too all of something, that's not good, but a little bit's okay. That's a quite Australian response too,
0: as opposed to the measured American legalese exactly. that you would probably hear from I some. Thought it was CEO. Good. Yeah, there's no you know, I have a real issue with that documentary and with he did a show also called Thirty Days because I know what they're doing. They're they're not necessarily just investigating. Right. They're also trying to achieve a desired result. And that a desired result being something bad they're they're trying to do something that's going to be titillating and oh my goodness his liver is going bad like he's he's sick he's sick he's toxic there's a lot of people who have called bullshit on that especially the liver toxins and all that stuff they're like where is this where's the liver toxin you're dealing with (laughs) carbohydrates and proteins and you know and and fats but it's not like this these things aren't toxic they're just not good they're just high in cholesterol and they're kind of fatty and sugary yeah but I know for a fact that they did some fuckery on his show. He had a show called 30 Days where he's mm-hmm. trying to achieve the same results. Because they went to a friend of mine who's a doctor. And he, this doctor uh, specializes in hormone replacement therapy for older people. For older people and people that are, you know, like you start getting older, you want to replace your testosterone, things along those lines. And they wanted to do it in 30 days, and they wanted to do it on this program. Take a man who's getting older and in 30 days inject him with hormones. And the doctor, who's an ethical doctor, said, you you don't ever do that. He said, we would never do that. He said, what we would do is we would get you on a proper diet. I would take your blood. It would take a week to get your blood results back. i get your blood results back. I'd want to get a detailed analysis of what you're eating, what you're doing, what kind of a lifestyle do you have. It's not a simple fix. Like, we give you hormones. So what they did is they found a quack doctor who did just shoot the guy up with hormones, and the guy was like all roid ragey and angry <laughs> afterwards. And his fucking his wife wanted to keep him chubby. I mean, the whole thing was a disaster. It's yeah. like this is not an
1: ethical examination of this. Yeah, complex I mean, it's issue. not really. It's it's like. It's entertainment. It's not um, a documentary or something. It's that's deceiving, though. The problem
0: with entertainment is it's not a puppet show. Mm. Okay, It's not a cartoon. You're, you're pretending that you're exploring these ideas. And when I was doing that sci-fi show, I found some similar issues with certain producers and certain people who were used to that world of reality TV. Reality TV has become this very strange mishmash of choreographed, choreographed scenarios and predetermined scenarios, predetermined results. And they do it sort of in this guise of reality TV, but it's, it's essentially, it's like loosely scripted bullshit. Yeah. And they're pretending that it's like, this is what's going on in the doctor's office. No, you set that up. That's not what goes on in a doctor's office. It's not what would go on in a doctor's office. You're pretending because that's going to get people to
1: freak yeah. out. They and took you've this got an agenda, you know, they're trying to make a point and they set it up like that. They edit it like that. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's totally right. Well, the whole business is completely fucked because the business is started
0: off with a bunch of people that came over from scripted shows. So the legacy people that were involved mm-hmm. in these re- dramatic shows where there were no until survivor came along, there were no reality shows, quote unquote reality shows. So, I I have a deep understanding of this because I hosted Fear Factor for six years and because Fear Factor came in in 2002, which was when all the reality shows were being born. So I got to see where these people had their backgrounds from and almost all of them had their backgrounds from dramas or from sitcoms or from the world of fictional shows. So much so that you were considered to be like a traitor mm. if you were involved in reality show like people people got mad at me that saying that I was taking jobs away from uh, writers because I was involved in, in Reality shows and I was like, oh, this is a hilarious argument but these people all came from this world where you manipulate things right. in order to make drama So they started doing that to quote-unquote reality shows. So that's what you're getting. So this 30 days show that doesn't exist anymore and super-sized media yeah. show. They're, you know, you're, you're tackling very complex issues and you're doing it in an entertaining form. And when you do that, there's some integrity that sort of, like,
1: goes by the wayside. Well, I think that's right. And the integrity... I think I had a real example of that. You, in the end, you're relying on the people involved to have a bit of integrity yes. and ethics in the way they do their jobs. And I just saw a little example this weekend. I was out doing stuff, and I did a... a for, for, to do with the election in my company, and we did a... I did an interview for the local news, for the NBC News, and we were doing some demos of stuff with people at, in Santa Monica, and um, they wanted to film one of the people that we're doing it with, you know, interacting with our thing. Right, with our website and at that point no, there weren't any people interested in doing that so one of the teams said why don't we just pretend to be a member of the public doing it and it was really interesting because they said no, the producer and the journalist said no, no, it's got to be You know a real member of the public and i thought that was really cool you know they they obviously wanted to go they were busy they had to get back to the studio they were really annoyed that they're having to wait a long time for an actual member of the public but they really did say no we we're not going to fake it and it would have been so easy and no one would have noticed and in that moment it was literally just their personal integrity And it was really cool to see and I I hope that's really widespread in the news business But it was just for me a really interesting example of you can make rules and you can have stuff But in the end, it's about people and their choices in the moment
0: It is interesting that they chose to do that with integrity But it's also interesting that someone suggested
1: they not right exactly exactly Yeah, and that's the that's the other side of it But it was I was really pleased that that's what they decided to do. I did a show for CBS once um called
0: Game Show in My Head. And the uh, the premise of the show was you would have this little uh, earpiece in that someone could talk to you in. So I would put an earpiece in the contestants and send them out. And when they would be standing somewhere, I'd, I'd say, okay, can you hear me? And they'd say, yes. All right, here's what's going on. And then these two guys came in with cameras they were holding cameras. You are a reporter on the news. Here's your scenario. Okay. Someone called in a UFO sighting they saw a UFO sighting we brought in the cameras unfortunately that person went away so what you have to do is convince some member of the public that's around there to take that person's place and to say that they were the ones who saw this UFO and you have to get them to say that they were taken aboard this UFO and that they were examined by aliens (laughs) <laughs> and so the guy, the, you know, it was it was kind of funny. They're like, okay, here we go. All right, how do I do this? <laughs> what was shocking was how many people, when you put that camera on them, immediately said they would do it and uh-huh. immediately started just lying, just lying. It was a silver craft. I mean, all walks of life. Very few people said no. That was the most shocking thing. Yeah. When you had the camera on them, they just started talking and they started sort of, Repeating these iconic images that you always hear—the mm-hmm. disc-shaped thing, silver, with there was no bolts on it—they—they they were like going into detail and talking about the the medical examinations and and this this guy who and and I think it was a guy and a girl um, you know these contestants who had to do this were just talking to these people and we were all the producers in the truck we were all looking at each other like wow people are (laughs) fucking full of shit this is so weird it's so weird how easy it is for some people to just justify making up a story
1: just in order for them to be on camera yeah well what do you think it's because they just it's the camera they want to be on the camera or is it they want to please the other person they want to be on TV look clever what
0: it could be that as well, but I think most likely it's they want to be on television so they could go home, set their DVR, and right. get, you know, it's on, it's on, it's on, it's on. That's me. Ah, I'm fucking lying. <laughs> you know, they just wanted to be on television. I think for a lot of people in this day and age, that is just some sort of a weird ultimate goal, just to have that camera on them, and then they go home and see it. Right. Whether it makes sense or not. And for a lot of folks, it doesn't make sense. A lot of folks, you know, they, they, it wind up, winds up ruining their lives. You know, they, they find out how other people feel about them. Plus, you expose yourself to the critique of millions of anonymous yeah. people filled with hate. Filled with hate and disappointment of their own life and just ready to spew venom in your direction. They just can't wait. Yeah shit all over you steve <laughs> yeah. well this I I, judge you
1: this, so this we had another thing this weekend we went out and made a little film just to test that out mm-hmm. about the elections going on in, in in l.a and we literally went up to people and um made up candidates that were running for, for congress and and asked what they thought about that you know and what do you think of angelina jolie running for congress and they totally, you know, this guy, yeah, I was so excited when I heard that. That's great. You know, I think she's great. And it's just, you can't believe how people just engage with these things. They just, made it, you just made it up and they yeah, just and, and like it. Yeah, and like you were saying with the UFO thing, he was like going on about it. He wasn't just saying, yeah, I heard about that. That's great. He was sort of embellishing it and talking about <laughs> it. And it was just ridiculous. Yeah, people are fucking strange, man. They're strange. And that's
0: um, it's a real p- problem when it comes to politics or anything when you're allowing people to make choices that can affect others, people are weird, you know, and a good percentage of them are really dumb and uninformed and not interested. I mean, they when you say dumb and uninformed, here's what I think when I say that What when I'm saying dumb, what I mean is. If the human mind is uh, essentially, uh, say if everyone has the exact same physical structure, the exact same genetics, the exact same hormonal system, and one person does yoga every day and eats healthy and uh, d- does chin-ups in the morning when they wake up and drinks a lot of water, and the other person sits in front of the TV, likes to smoke cigarettes, eats nothing but sugar... You get to see the results of one person being very aware of their body and taking care of their body, and the other person not. Well, you get that same effect with life. You get that same effect with how you approach the world itself. Some people approach the world through this lazy, disconnected, you know, like pop culture obsessed, nonsensical. I'm just looking. Pop culture obsessed, Jamie. Talking to you, you fuck. He's a little pop culture. So not too bad. Jamie's aware of a lot of other shit too. But some people just they don't enrich their life. They don't enrich their mind. They don't they're not they're not curious. And those people with all these poor decisions and drug addictions and the life's a mess, they have an equal say to the person who's rational and aware and kind and objective. Equal say. And I think that's one of the weirdest things about communities, about culture. It's about trying to figure out how do you mitigate the, the effects of the lazy? How do you how do you deal with the effects of the morons? Like when, when you have a riot and people start pulling white people out of cars and throwing rocks at their heads, which they've had in Los Angeles in the past, especially after the, the Rodney King beating mm-hmm. and things along those lines, just random white people just attack them. How do you, how do you, how do you allow when you see the, the, these things can happen? I just use that as an example. It could be a million other things that are really stupid that people do. How could it be that one person gets one vote and another person who is very aware, another person is very educated, another person who's very kind and very sympathetic to all walks of life gets a, an equal vote. One person could be a total racist. You could, you could go to a voting booth with a t-shirt on that says fuck black people and you could vote and no one could stop you, you know as, long as especially if you have a shirt, sort of like a flannel shirt that's over the t-shirt that says fuck black people so you have to really look hard to see fuck black people and you yeah. think you're getting over no one can stop you you know, and it's, I think, one of the things that they were trying to work around when they developed the concept of a representative democracy, the concept of America, representative government. So, like, okay, let's sort of have some filters in place. When well, you're
1: voting, but you're kind of voting on a representative, and the representative sort of votes for you. And they interpret what you want. I think that's, that's definitely part of the idea. I think that when you, I mean, that that point you just made about, it really reminds me actually the racist point you mentioned made there was a really effective commercial um for rock the vote i remember years ago in the, in the uk where um i was back there at the time and they they literally had a some image of it wasn't images like of a, a, a tv ad of a, ra- of a r- racist guy like spewing racist stuff and then the the, the tagline for the ad was you'd better vote because you can be sure that he will It was a really, you know, good way of making that point. But I think that generally, you know, those kind of people are the extreme. (coughs) I think the idea is that most people are not, you know, the the kind of extreme end of it where they're either totally, you know, where their views are just completely abhorrent or they are just completely off the page in terms of their knowledge. You've got a majority of people who are basically interested in good things happening, I think the problem is they just don't know enough about it, the information they get is not interesting, it's not presented in a good way, there's other interesting things going on, they're busy with their life, you know, they want to get involved, and so what happens, and I think this is happening more and more, is you end up with a smaller and smaller group of people who basically control the political system, because... The, the mass of people are just not interested, they're turned off, they think that getting involved won't make any difference, and so you, what you end up with is people with a lot of money, um, special interests, those who, you know, the kind of professionals of the political game, running everything. And that actually makes people even less inclined to get involved, because they see what's happening and think, oh, well, why should I bother? It's a really bad cycle, I think. Yeah, and then people start saying things like, oh,
0: the New World Order is in control anyway. The Bilderberg Group is in control anyway. And there was some uh, thing yesterday that was in the news where one of the uh, members of the Bilderberg Group uh, in, I think he's some Dutch guy, had some impromptu public discussion with all these people and they start bringing out all these details of 9-11 you know 9-11 those the building was brought down thermite and they stick and they circle this guy and start talking to him and it's it's kind of fascinating you know this this idea of uh, the illuminati the this idea of a small group of people controlling everyone through iconic symbolism and eyeballs inside of pyramids and all that stuff becomes uh in a lot of ways, a vehicle for um, for feeling unempowered, Definitely. for feeling that's exactly disenfranchised. It.
1: That's what's. Go- I think that's that's how people feel. Yeah. And I certainly noticed. I used to work back in the UK in the government, and I noticed it there. I've been in politics a long time. That's how people feel there. It's even more so here. I think, you know, if you just look today, we're speaking on election day in California, it's the primaries. Everyone's saying it's going to be the lowest turnout ever. No one's interested because they don't think it makes any difference. I think that's a real problem. And they, they feel, you know, the whole idea of democracy is, is people power, is that you have the power. Everyone, like you were saying, everyone has the same chance to influence things and they have the power. But that is not what it feels like to people. Yeah.
0: And then every now and then something comes along where they're like, how the hell did that pass? And then they freak yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Like Proposition 8, where right. they repealed gay marriage. And everybody's like, are you fucking kidding me? In California, right. you repealed gay marriage? The most shocking thing about Proposition 8 to me was that over almost over <laughs> the the majority uh, of, of black people mm-hmm. voted for it. They voted That's to repeal heard, yeah. gay marriage. <laughs> they didn't want gay marriage. Which is, you know, quite hilarious if you start thinking about people that have been persecuted. Right. I mean, who has been a victim of um, unfair discrimination in this country more than black people? I, think the no people I,
1: mean, I don't know because um, I wasn't involved in any way, but the, but I've heard when you look at the date, exactly to your point that that was one of the reasons, and that Was particularly the case because it was in the year when Obama was running and you had a higher turnout amongst those people Mm -hmm. precisely because you had the first black um, candidate on the ballot for president, so you had more black people voting, and that was one of the um, consequences. Yes, 70%. I don't know if that's that's right, but that's certainly what some have argued. Do you know
0: how crazy 70%? That's the exit poll. It said 70% of black people voted for Proposition 8. That's stunning. And the idea being. For a lot of them, it was a religious decision. Yeah, I think that was a big—that's a big part of the story that's told. Someone should ta- challenge that, and uh, what they should do is they should make uh, some sort of a proposition banning shrimp. <laughs> You know, like have like have like these big signs in front of Red Lobster, you know, with, with Genesis, like whatever whatever the quote in the Bible that says you because there's four times as many references to shellfish yeah. as there is to gay people. There's like there's like a lot of references to like the, you're not supposed to eat shrimp, but you can go to an all you buffet and people right after church. That's really outrageous. Right I don't know how we allow it. You're right. You know this needs to be stopped. It's bad. But they can't. That for whatever reason the gay thing like really locked on to people like they really got into it they really got into it for whatever reason you know the the gay the gay decision the the decision to stop gay marriage seemed to be like a one that jesus was really serious about that shrimp thing eh, pick and choose pick and choose you know you're not supposed to get tattooed how many religious people have crosses tattooed on their body i mean that's a fucking that's like directly... Is that... No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Tattoos yeah. are not... Yeah. They frowned not, upon. Yeah, you're not supposed to mark yourself. Okay. You're not supposed to tattoo yourself. That's, that's against God's wish. But people will tattoo themselves with biblical verses, which is, you know, hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> well, people are weird, you know, and that, my point that I was trying to make kind of clumsily earlier was that it's kind of strange that we are so varied and it's kind of strange that everyone does get like if there's three of us in a room you know we we have to we have to all decide and uh, if one of us is retarded not literally but but are people with Down syndrome are people that are anyone that is like mentally compromised are they allowed to
1: vote I mean is there some sort of a a test if you imply that I don't know what the rules are I think in the in in Britain it was something to do with I think the only thing was if you're in jail. I I can't remember. Well,
0: if you're a felon in America, we don't ever let you recover. We don't ever let you recover from that. So if you're a felon, you don't get to vote. Like, yeah, you fucked up too much. What, you never can? No. I don't believe so. I'm pretty sure felons don't get to vote. Because Joey Diaz always talks about that. Don't get to vote. I know they can't carry firearms. Yeah, state felon voting laws. Um... I guess it looks like it's different in every state. Two states allow felons to vote from prison, while other states may permanently prevent felons from uh, voting, even after being released. So it's different. It varies from state to state. That's
1: amazing, mm-hmm. permanently prevent.
0: Yeah. They lose... Uh, they vote... They cannot vote permanently in 11 states. Uh, Alabama, Arizona, Delaware, Florida, Iowa, Kentucky... Mississippi, Nevada, Tennessee, w- coincidentally, all places I would never fucking live. How weird.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, you're worried about the rules. I think that um, that is amazing to me, that there's literally <coughs> n- this assumption that there's no chance. You of... don't get back. You
0: don't turn it around, yeah, ever. That's can, an amazing You make a view. felony when you're 18, like some yeah. stupid thing. You go to jail... You come out and become like the
1: best person ever, and they're never going to let you return. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, the whole point of what you try and do with, you know, the criminal justice system and so on is to try and exactly you know rehabilitate people so they don't offend again. I mean, that's and and try and get people to that point. Yeah, I think people are just so tired of people just
0: fucking up that they're like you know what this is a good way to keep fuck-ups from voting like once like yeah. the idea that we were talking about earlier that you know a person could be a racist a person could be uh, a complete nutter and still vote along with a person who's really kind and mm-hmm. educated and so their vote is, it counts equally they're in a community that as soon as that nutter robs something or it goes it's a good way to cut him out of the system all right fuck that guy you can't vote anymore yeah Which I guess kind of makes sense, but maybe it's just a numbers thing. If there was 10 people on an island, we would have to rehabilitate the guy who stole the coconuts. We'd have to say, come on, man. (laughs) You can't be stealing everybody's coconuts. This is a fucked up way to live your life. You should contribute. Stop stealing fish. Stop stealing coconuts. Get it together. And then we'd
1: let that guy, yeah, be. A part I think of the that's community. A, by the way. It's a joke, but I think it's an incredibly important point about about democracy generally. I think the closer it is to a real community where everyone knows each other, mm-hmm. right, where the decisions are made kind of by people who can look the other person in the eye and all that, I think they're going to be better. I think one of the problems is that you've got these big, big systems, and they're 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 kind of really far from the human level where that kind of trust um, can be established, and that is one of the problems with with a lot of things in, in government and politics. It's all just too big and removed from that human scale. Well, that's a
0: problem with a lot of things when it comes to human beings. This d- diffusion of responsibility that mm-hmm. comes with being a part of a massive group, like war. Yeah. The idea that if there's 300 million of us and a million of us are overseas, you know, fighting for freedom. Uh, that's sort of like you, you could deal with that because it's not happening in Calabasas. You know, you, can, right. you could go to work and you could deal with your life and in your the scope of your world it doesn't come up. But you are kind of peripherally aware that this is happening somewhere else. But if people in Van Nuys were going to war with people in Studio City and it was only a couple miles away and you had to deal with that, then it would be something we would have to try to calm down. We'd have to try to deal with this. Like, what what the fuck's going on here? Like, what are we doing here? We'd have to it's, – it's something you have to deal with. But the, the sheer number of human mm-hmm. beings that are involved in the world today and in, in communities and in cultures, it's just – it's almost unmanageable. It's un, unmanageable for a person who's not designed for that. We're designed, essentially, to deal with our immediate atmosphere. We're designed to deal with small tribes of people. Friends yeah. family the people that you know the people that you keep close and when you get past that It's just like almost like what do we I don't, I don't know what to do with this And so we pass the buck off to some representative. I, f-
1: I think this is such an important point I really do believe that I think that so many things Don't work because they get away from the point where you can really know the other person and all the, the group that you're with There's some guy in um in England did I think at Cambridge University did some research about the maximum number of people that you can really have any kind of human relationship with at any one time. I think he got to a number of 150. Dunbar's Th- that, number. Is that is that right? So you know yeah. more about it than I do. I thought that was just a really interesting perspective on it, which is yeah. which is that after that, it just gets too diffuse. We're not designed
0: for it. It's like your phone. Your phone only has a certain amount of data, that old fucking goofy flip phone <laughs> you carry around with you. If you have an older one, like one of those Motorola StarTax, you know, remember those from back yeah. in the day? Big Fucking goofy, clunky thing. I mean, that probably only carried 100 phone numbers. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many they had, but the the amount of data that you can store in new devices represents the need that we have. But we have these same biological hard drives that cavemen did. I mean, they're not really much different than people that lived a million years ago. I mean, how much of it has it changed? I mean, how, ma- mm-hmm. how many? How much more room do we have for social relationships? Apparently not much. Like 50,000 years ago and today, if you took a, a guy who lived 50,000 years ago and a guy who lived today and you compared the brains, how much would they vary? You could take a 50,000-year-old man, dress him up in clothes and, and sit him down in a movie theater and you'd walk right by him. You wouldn't even know when you were sitting in yeah. your seat. You wouldn't go, holy shit, that's a fucking caveman. I mean, the, the guy would look very remarkably similar to how you look and I look and how normal folks look today. Yeah, we're not designed for this world that we've created and it's it's popped up so damn quick
1: yeah exactly it's really the last kind of well definitely the last hundred years but you know and it's just getting faster and faster you know this kind of everything becoming really kind of organized at this sort of inhuman level and this mad struggle to sort of organize it and to try mm-hmm.
0: to control it and just be, just calm it down get a handle on the effects of it and i think In a lot of ways, that's what you're doing with this crowd-packed thing. With this crowd-packed thing is you are utilizing these tools, these tools of the Internet and this instant access to information that we have today to sort of establish a much clearer sense of where political candidates are coming from and what are their influences as far as who is financing them where is you know where's their money coming from where are their decisions headed towards what what are they what are they doing right now
1: yeah i think that's that's a really good summary of it which is that basically we think that well when you you talk to people about politics one of the things they say is that we just don't know enough about it we don't know enough information generally but we don't know we don't have information we can trust we have all this spin and ads and all the rest of it from the politicians we can't really believe them there's all this stuff around on the internet i don't know what to believe so what we're trying to do is give people really objective information that they can rely on to figure out where the politicians are on the issues that they care about and the thing that we found from our research is that as my um uh one of my co-founders adam who's a professor at stanford um, has been working on this for, for many years. And basically what he's shown is that the best way to predict what a politician will do if they're elected is to look at where they get their money and to look at also who they give money to, because most politicians also going to donate to other candidates. So if you look at all that campaign finance information, the money behind this politician, that is going to give you the best guide to what they're really going to do. In office mm. and it's something that you can actually and what we're trying to do is like turn that into really simple information that you can without kind of reading tons of stuff and doing loads of research you can get a quick snapshot of who these people are and then in time the other thing that we want to do is make it possible for you to find the politicians that are really um, good or bad on the issues that you care about and get involved in their campaigns because the other thing is that you've got a tiny tiny number of people who are funding all these campaigns. If you look at the the total number of people who put money into politics, it's a really small number compared to the number of people who who vote and then the number of adults in the whole country. It's a tiny number that are funding it all. And even within that, most of the money comes from an even smaller number. And they're paying for all of this. And they're getting the outcomes that they pay for. It's basically a transaction. That's what's really crazy. And so some people say... Right, you've got to get money out of politics. That's, you've just got to get it out. And obviously that is something that has a lot of appeal. You can see why you'd want to do that. There's a brilliant guy called Larry Lessig. I don't know if you've come across what he's been doing. And he's been arguing about this for years. And he's been saying, um, he's at Harvard, Harvard he's, a, he's a, a, a brilliant campaigner on this issue of money in politics. And he's been saying, if you think about any problem in in America today whatever the issue is that you care about if that's gay marriage or the environment or it doesn't matter what it is you're not going to get anywhere about in terms of solving that problem unless you deal with the first problem which is the money because the money in politics stops the proper solutions from being developed because what it means is that you've got these special interests whether that's left or right it doesn't matter whether it's big businesses or unions doesn't matter they want their particular outcome and they're buying it through the system so we've got to get the money out and he's got a campaign around that and, and he wants public funding for elections and so on. And all that is kind of a, a noble aim, I guess. But my feeling is that that's a really hard sell because you've got a constitution that says it's free speech. You're allowed to give money to, to politicians and we can't just kind of stop that. Um, you've got to let people donate to politicians. And so our take on it is to say, well, if you can't take the money out, let's at least dilute the influence of the people there right now by letting more people making it easier for more people to get involved and give money to these candidates so they are not dependent on these big donors with their particular interests and that's really what we're trying to do is kind of make it easier for people to get involved in politics so that they can really you know get these politicians off this hook they're on which is that their they're dependence on these donors for their campaign spending which means that once they're elected It's kind of inevitable that they pay attention to them rather than the people who elected them
0: in a a lot of ways it mirrors the influence that the internet has had on the news itself because the news used to be distributed only through these proper channels whether Mm -hmm. it was NBC CBS and then you know the cable news networks CNN Fox and all this jazz but now it's become this thing where websites develop huffington post Mm -hmm. all these uh, the young turks which is an an internet-based news show and they have no censorship they have no restrictions they have no influence other than the ones that they choose to accept or the ideas that they bring and they have the same amount of distribution that everybody else does and you can have a website just you know mike's fuckhead.com dot yeah. com, and put it up, and if enough people find it valid and interesting, he could have a million hits a day, unique visits a day, and it might be more than CNN gets, and just
1: simply because of the fact that it's good information, and it's, and it's yeah. Well, you've shown that with this. I mean, you know, you're reaching more people than than most of these. Well, I think all of these news sites right, it's ten and a half million it? a month. That's like now. more than just about anything else you know so what's
0: crazy is is exponentially doubling and tripling and 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 what's happening is it's all being done with no promotion i mean the only promotion is like i I let people know hey steve hilton's on today yeah and then just from oh yeah i mean i mean that's very excited to hear that from twitter and just spreading the word yeah but what i was getting at is that like the same way the internet has sort of interfered with the distribution of information look at what's going on with this Edward Snowden case Mm -hmm. is a perfect example this massive change in the way the entire country looks at the NSA and government spying was done by one man leaking information to one guy in one source which spread through the internet and then Mm -hmm. Boom! It blossoms. This huge news story that was essentially—if he had sent that same story through the proper channels, so like the New York Times or CNN—they would have ignored the fuck out of it. They would have figured out a way to cover that thing and throw it under the rug and staple that rug down and light it on fire. I mean, what he did was figure out a way to distribute things through this through this new channel, and. Essentially, that's what the internet is doing with, with voting. Before something like the internet came along, it was very difficult to find out who the influences of all these different individual yep. candidates were. With something like CrowdPack, it becomes much more easy, and that also will change. The way these people
1: interact with yeah i think so and and you know i really hope that that is you know we're just at the start of it to be honest i think the the political world is really late for this kind of change compared to like you say with media and other things you know and things that we experience you know every day in our lives like you know like travel and booking to you know there used to be a you know time when you know to get an airline ticket you had to sort of physically go to some shop and then have these like weird paper to you know the whole thing just feels so antiquated and now it's so simple and it's really like you were saying oh it's imp- you've got the power to do it you're empowered now you um, get it on your phone you don't right. even have to have a ticket and that's you put what, your phone over the scanner thing and that hasn't really happened to politics yet but that is what we're trying to do because and others as well it's not just us but I, you know i think that we've got something interesting here which is this way of giving people objective information about the candidates based on, on who gives them money but but overall, we're part of this movement of trying to really put power in people's hands through technology. And I'm sure it's going to happen. I'm really sure because people want it. You know, they are sick of just feeling that, that they don't get any response and that these people over here control everything and nothing ever really changes. And actually, the politicians themselves, in my experience, they, you know, you would think, well, maybe I would say this because I used to work in politics myself for the prime minister in the UK. So I kind of know them they they kind of used to be my world that used to be my world my feeling is that generally the politicians actually hate this just as much as everyone else they hate the fact that they have to spend so much time raising money you know literally there was this document that was leaked uh, to the new york times i think a while back from the democratic leadership in congress where they they gave a kind of guide to the newly elected members of congress about how they should spend their time And it was a recommendation to the newly elected members of Congress. And it went through how how many hours a day they should spend on different types of activity. You know, thinking about policy, talking to constituents, this kind of thing. Half of the time, it was four hours, was recommended that they spend on fundraising. Wow. Right? And so... The, the people who go into politics, they don't want to live like that. They actually hate it. They hate, you know, being shoved in a room, which is what happens, and being, they call it dialing for dollars, you know, like just sit, literally sitting on the phone trying to raise money. That's not why they went into politics. How do they do that? They just call random people up, or do they have yeah, a they list I, of potential I think donors? They give, I don't know because I've never done it, but I think they, I think that's literally it. They're given lists of likely people. The, they
0: just deet, 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 deet.
1: hi. I'm running for Congress in the yes. 33rd district, and I, I'd like to get gay marriage the fuck out of here. What do you think? I think it's I, pretty much like that. I don't know. Wow. You can talk to some people who know more about it, but um, you know. So, so I think actually the politicians themselves mostly uh, hate the system, and so I think that um, you know, a lot of there's a lot of effort actually in Congress to try and encourage more small donors and make it easier for people to give money? Because actually, that's what they want too. They they don't like being beholden to these big donors and these companies and you, you know, they don't like it any more than we like it.
0: I think ultimately the idea of leaders, whether it's uh, presidential leaders or whether it's uh, representatives, I think ultimately that's going to go away. And my my thought about it is that anybody who really wants to lead everyone else is probably an asshole <laughs> you know i mean anybody who really wants to be the king like why do you want to be the king like don't you have things to do don't you have hobbies and creative pursuits and like what yeah. why would you want to just be the guy who gets to control be the one who stands at the podium ladies and gentlemen you know that's that's a weird ego thing yeah and i think that in 2014, in the, the world that we live in today, where we're seeing this much more even distribution of influence, yep. I think that ultimately that's going to be one of those things that gets called into question. Like, why do we have yeah. an alpha representative? Why do we have to
1: have this yeah. head monkey in charge? I really agree with that. I mean, a lot of the things that I was trying to do uh, when I was in the government in the UK, and 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 it's kind of part of what we're doing with CrowdPack is is, you know, trying to encourage that even distribution, that more even distribution of power and redistribute power from the kind of traditional sources of power and kind of central leadership and putting power in people's hands so that they can control more and more aspects of their life because in the end, they'll make better decisions overall. And it's also just be- more healthy, I think, mm-hmm. going back to what we were saying earlier about um, you know the, the way people can only know a small number of people and and if... You give them power to shape more of the things that happen in their lives. I think that, that actually they will take more responsibility. They'll be more responsible in a community sense. You'll just see everything get better if you take power out of the hands of these sort of lead, leaders and central organizations and put it in the hands of people definitely
0: i think i think you're right i think there's also an issue of it being overwhelming the amount of information that you have to absorb Mm -hmm. whenever you deal with political issues whenever you deal with campaigns whenever you deal with new elections you know you're given this pamphlet of different people and the different propositions that are up for vote and you just get overwhelmed yeah especially if you're if you have a job that's taxing as it is and you have a family. And, you know, you're thinking about golfing on the weekend. God, I'd like to go golfing. And you look at all this bullshit and like, oh, I can't even pay attention to this. Is everything okay right now? Yes. Well, fucking let me just get this over with and let's hope everything stays okay. And very few people take
1: responsibility for what gets voted in. Yeah. And it is, I think you're right, though. It is really, you know, it's hard. It's easy to say oh, the voters are lazy or whatever they should do. But honestly, like you say, they've got real lives to live Mm -hmm. and they haven't got time for all this stuff. And that is a really big part of why we want to make it simple. You know, we're assuming that people want to spend less time doing this stuff, not more time. And and I think a lot of the kind of... um, organizations and people that have tried to get people, you know, mobilized, you know, civic organization and the kind of you know, that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's worked to a certain extent with some people, but for the majority of people, they just don't want to do it. They, they can't do it, actually. They're literally too busy um, with things that are higher priorities, like their kids and their family and their job or whatever it may be. Hobbies, doesn't matter. It's stuff that they choose to do. And that's fine. That's their life. And we shouldn't kind of require that you have to spend ages figuring out This political stuff, and that's why we're trying to make it really simple for people. But based on quite a lot of complex... And that's what technology allows you to do. You can take quite a lot of complex data and information, like we're doing with the campaign finance records, where it's literally hundreds of millions of pieces of information, and we're boiling it down into one piece of information, which is a score, like where is this candidate on on the scale of liberal to conservative, where do they sit, and where are they on each issue? that's what we're trying to do to make it really simple isn't it sort of analogous in a
0: way to what we were talking about about the amount of people that you can keep in your brain the yeah, dunbar's so. number yeah. is that if you lived in a small tribe if say if we all lived 50 of us together in some small village somewhere we really wouldn't have votes about gay marriage, and we really wouldn't have votes not. about. Exactly. There, there'd be a million different things that would never be up for vote. And if someone really did start micromanaging everyone's lives, you'd, you'd be like, hey, you know, Mike is an asshole. We've exactly. got to kick him out of this fucking tribe. This guy's trying to get people to wear purple and, you know, wear s- certain Nikes during different moon cycles and make tribal rules and rituals and make all these things standard. And, you know, for whatever reason, he doesn't like men sleeping with men. Like he's got some weird thing, you know he believes t- it's, it's part of- so
1: true. I just so agree with that. One of my favorite things that um one of the, uh, these experiments that happened was in um Holland, I think I'll get that right um, in 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 Europe, and they did this brilliant experiment with traffic where they um in a town, I think it was Friesland or something like that, I probably got that wrong um, where they literally took away all the traffic signals. All of them, everything, right? They took away traffic lights. They even took, you know, stop signs, everything. Even the the markings on the road. So they took away the white line in the middle of the road, everything, all gone. And their theory was that without that kind of external r- rule-making and kind of stuff going on to tell you what to do, people would have to kind of relate to each other as other people and just figure it out amongst themselves. Mm. So they would... um you know, have to sort of look other people in the eye and, and sort of work it out between them. And they found they had this brilliant effect, which was that um, accidents fell to zero. The traffic improved, the, the, the traffic speed was lower, but the traffic flow was much better. It just worked all around. All the kind of things that you try and do when all these people thinking about traffic planning and whatever, they achieved all those aims by literally taking everything away and just allowing people to relate to each other as humans and and make rules i thought it was such a great um little story and i think that you could do that in all sorts of areas if you just leave it to people to figure it out on a small scale where they can relate to each other you just get a much better result isn't that the issue though the small scale yeah i think so
0: we're dealing with i drove here today i live about 20 minutes from here and in the drive from my house to here i didn't know anybody I don't know yeah. any of those fucking people. They might not even be real. They might be robots <laughs> that were sent from the government to pretend it's to the be NSA people. Again. they're trying to Aliens, follow you with maybe the- even <laughs> I don't know them, you know? So there's, there's there's that issue whereas everyone in Friesland, or wherever the fuck that place yeah. was in Holland. Those those people probably all know each other. You know, it's a small area. There's not yeah. a lot. When you get to some weird number like the 20 million people that are living in the greater Los Angeles mm-hmm. area, that's just too crazy it's too it's too nutty and there's yeah. nothing less human than a light a stoplight red means stop green means go wait look at it it's green go i mean th- th- it's so disconnected yeah. from human interaction and without it we become crippled there's no better chance that you're going to run into a traffic stop or a, a traffic jam than if a cop is directing. <laughs> if there's a cop, it's standing there telling you people go forward and you people stop. For sure that guy's fucking that intersection up <laughs> sideways. Every time I go into one of those situations where a light is down and there's yeah. a cop standing there, it's a fucking disaster. <laughs> Whereas if it was just a light, it's just red light, green light, everything seems to work cuz we're sort of programmed to yeah. wait for that light. And and like robotic you just yeah yeah, you can follow but if that cop is there like oh this motherfucker look at (laughs) no wonder this thing's a mess it's a person out there telling us when we can go fuck him who's he (laughs) this asshole fat fuck telling me when to go you know and there's like this weirdness involved and all of a sudden there's a human element that's been thrown into our robot light thing and then there's uh you know there's cameras that they were putting on them for a while which were hilarious. On the actual cops? No, On the lights. Because they're doing that too, I think. On the cops? Yeah. Yeah, they should. They should do that on all cops. Because they should they, do that on all cops. Everything a cop does all throughout the day should be recorded and it should be untamperable. I think that's ha- what
1: they I, I genuinely
0: think that's what they're trying to do. So much abuse. It's There's yeah. just massive amounts of abuse when it comes to police officers. And I think there's a lot of great cops out there. It's not that I don't believe in law enforcement, enforcement, But I believe many of them are abusive fucks, and many of them are psychologically unable to deal with the demands of an incredibly stressful life
1: Yeah, the it life- is really tough. I, I completely agree with the way you put it that there's tons of them that are great And then there are others that totally abuse their position and that's it's another really interesting example of how technology can be really helpful um, in, in a way because you can you can have that I think I, I, I so all that they're trying to do in here, the LAPD, that um, if you put the cameras on and you can't mess around with them, that's a really powerful incentive Huge. to behave right. Complaints have dropped dramatically, yeah. and they've dropped
0: dramatically because cops can't be cunts anymore. I mean, it's yeah. really that yeah. simple. It's re- it really is that simple. What I was talking about was that at traffic, traffic lights. lights right. They were having lights like if you were going through the light as it was yellow and it turned red, they would flash. So if your wheels were not, you know, it was, if they were in front of the line, you hadn't made it across before the light turned red, they would give you a ticket. And it, but it would turn out to be a private company. That was actually profiting from these tickets right. and so they deemed that unconstitutional and they re- removed all those lights but people were just in a goddamn uproar it was just a, a, a madness everywhere you go they're taking you'd see f- <laughs> flashes going off at traffic lights and all it was was revenue it wasn't preventing people from running lights or preventing people from you know gunning it when the light turns yellow it was just just fucking people out of their money And it was just one more thing where they complicate the system further. They add one more element that makes it one more thing that you have to think about, one more little piece of control, and one more dehumanizing aspect. People like freedom. And one of the reasons why people like freedom is because freedom isn't just the freedom to do as you wish. It's the freedom to not have to think about a bunch of other shit and be influenced by a bunch of other shit that takes your time away. And takes your your energy away and i think that's where we're at when it comes to a lot of these propositions and a lot of Mm. these really uber complicated things that are involved in our day-to-day lives it's like we've complicated ourselves to this point of almost of no return and where there's very few very few uh, alternatives
1: yeah and i think that that the thing that happens then is that they've Complicated it, then it's not working, and they say, "Oh, we could better try and fix it." And then the the fixing of it makes it even more complicated, and it just get and then and then a new government comes in or a new governor or whoever it may be, and and instead of actually just stopping and thinking, you know what, this whole we just got to rethink the whole thing, and start from scratch, and um, and just not tinker with it anymore and try and improve it because it's just going to make it more complicated that never happens there's never really enough time for that to happen they're not there they're only thinking about the next couple of years and the next election or whatever and so things just get even more complicated and yeah. they, never, they never seem to get to that point where yeah that's really
0: working great now my wife and i went out to this restaurant the other night and the the restaurant was this we were noticing that there's this theme that's going on in a lot of restaurants where they have like this rustic thing going Mm -hmm. on where they have old school lights the filaments in them and then they have hardwood tables and wrought iron this and metal that and and i was like i think people are sort of reacting to this fabricated world that we've created and we we long for this simplicity that's why there's these shows like um these alaska shows where people living on the the frontier and they're fucking collecting wood and fighting off wolves it's like we almost long for that simplicity ab- above this world that we've complicated to this almost unmanageable point
1: yeah it's definitely true and you see in in so many areas that... I mean, it's like food is a is a great example where there's all this kind of stuff about organic food and seasonal and local and grow it in your garden and that whole movement, I think, is a reaction. I mean, if you think about food, like years ago, like in the 50s, I think, you know, it was all about... Um, you know, let's have all the, all the kind of TV, you know, sort of packaged food and all this kind of industrialized food. That was then seen as better because it was, you know, scientific and hygienic and like really kind of good for you. And then people are now just thinking that is just really horrible. This is all the chemicals, it's disgusting. Now the movement is all for this kind of uh, local organic food. It made me laugh though because my family are from Hungary and so when i was a kid we used to go back to hungary the whole time it was a communist country and there were no you know food stores with loads of choice and everything and you would go in the store and it was just you know what you got just a few sort of vegetables and it was it was just very basic um and now, I remember the other day walking around in San Francisco and there's the kind of farmer's market thing going on and they had their kind of, you know, ugly vegetables and whatever put out there. And it just looked exactly like Hungry. the Hungarian communist <laughs> food shop. But here in San Francisco, it's the most expensive, fancy, amazing food that you can get. But it just makes me laugh, really. It's just, I think a lot of it is just, you know, you know, a reaction to what's gone before. And we're currently, I think you're totally right in this kind of sense of it's just gone too far, the whole... Um, industrialization of so many different aspects of our lives
0: well it's also we're starting to realize where people live in cities and they they look around and they see all these buildings and they see this asphalt and they see these telephone poles and they go there's no food here we have to bring in the food like this is kind of crazy like and then you get on top of a building and you look around at how far the no food here area is It's pretty goddamn big. And then you look at all the different people that live in the no food here area that require food. You're like, fuck, we got to feed these fucking people. (laughs) And then you go, where's this water coming from? And then you go, oh, it comes from Colorado. What? The water comes from fucking what? It comes from the Colorado River. Oh, no. So the only way we get water in California is we have to take it from thousands away thousands of miles away that's the only this is a crazy place to be like we, 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 we we're in this unsustainable environment and new people move here every day M- new thousand people every day boom 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 set up a fucking house Build this another structure boom and then we slowly push out our no food here area deeper yes. and deeper into the desert and, you know, no one's thinking about where this goes. And so far, so good. Sustainable. Go to the farmer's market. You can get plenty of good groceries. But very bizarre. If there's somehow or another some cutoff of our oil supply, some some way where we can't travel as easily anymore, we're in a real rut. It's a, yeah. not a good spot. It's not. Ideally, every neighborhood should have, like, a, a couple of acres where it's set up, where you grow
1: food, yeah, like that community gardens. I just totally agree with that there's a there's a brilliant guy. Um, I don't know if you come across him called Nassim Taleb. He wrote this book called The Black Swan, and he's he was really um, he's a he's a mathematician, and he was in the financial markets, and and he really kind of predicted the crash and understood all that, and he, he's just great. And one of his big points is that these big systems that we've ended up with. Um, and the word he uses are they're completely fragile they're really they look kind of big and 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 uh solid but actually we're so dependent on them that it makes us really fragile if they collapse or fall over or whatever whether that's a company or some government system we're really screwed because they're we're so dependent and that's really a kind of fragile situation and so that's that's definitely one of the reasons i sort of love what he writes about and talks about is that he's arguing for exactly that kind of thing you know making sure that companies don't get too big to fail not just in the financial sector a lot of people have talked about that with the banks there's too big to fail argument but in every area with the food system and other types of businesses where we're so dependent if something went wrong we you know we couldn't cope with it and when you have small distributed it's just like we were talking earlier about the power being distributed. It's not just voting power and political power. It's economic power. It's social power. It's every type of power. It's just going to be much better for us if it's distributed more broadly. And we're a long way from that. It's actually going in the other direction. Yeah, it's going in the other direction.
0: And no, very few cities are diminishing in population unless mm-hmm. there's something horribly wrong, like Detroit, where it, if uh, have you ever been to Detroit? I have not it's fascinating while you're over here in america Mm -hmm. and you're you're enjoying our fine country you should go see our biggest disaster Mm -hmm. because detroit at one point in time was this economic stronghold for america it's where we built camaros and corvettes and firebirds and it was this place where it it was where america built Mm -hmm. what it built best which is besides buildings it's cars america built cars and it all fucking fell apart. It fell apart when they started moving jobs to Mexico and all in other countries. It fell apart when they started producing shittier and shittier cars and when you, there was all sorts of complications with unions and with so a million different problems yeah. and then slowly but surely, they started diminishing these these factories and there's a really interesting um, documentary i don 't know if you watched michael moore's first documentary, mm-hmm. Roger and me. did you ever see that yeah. Roger and me was all about Flint, Michigan. It was about his hometown where they closed down these plants, and then these people went into immediate massive poverty, and it was a huge, huge issue. And if you go to Detroit today, you could buy a house for $500, and I'm not bullshitting. They had houses for sale. I was there, 500 bucks, and it's a mess. It's a real mess. I mean, mm. it, there's areas where they're trying to gentrify these areas, and they're building local businesses, and they're trying to, you know, encourage growth. And, you know, I mean, if a company wanted to move there, you have a massive amount of people that are looking for jobs and cheap land, and it's a good idea, it's a good place to start, but very, very difficult to, to encourage people to do so. So Detroit shows how easy things can fall apart. Yeah. And there's been a bunch of blogs that have been created where they've uh websites where they've shown how these trees and nature are taking over these areas that used to be populated where yeah, trees I, are I growing saw those through pictures. buildings yeah it's amazing I, I remember that now yeah bears really interesting bears are moving into these areas that used to be used to have you know towns and bears are slowly starting moving their way into detroit and it's fucking crazy it's amazing yeah but that's, that shows you how easily it could all fall apart, whereas you know, 50, 60 years ago. Here's, some, here's an image that Jamie just put up. These are trees that are growing inside of this yeah. abandoned building. They're just growing through the floor, and eventually they'll make their way through the roof, and the roof will rot, and it just shows you how easy it is for nature to reclaim areas that human beings feel like, well, this is a city now. No, it's a city for now. Yeah, you know, it's not a city now. Na- it's not permanently a city. Like, this is, trees just grow. R- you ever um, go to the airport, drive down Sepulveda? There's areas where it's really old roads, and these trees have grown up through the uh, sidewalks so bad that the sidewalks are, you know, you can't walk on them. I mean, they're, they're like ramps, because the tree has slowly but surely lifted up the concrete of the sidewalk, and is trying to reclaim this area yeah. that they've put this stupid rock paste over. Yeah. You know, I think that's like one of the best examples of how easy it could all fall apart. Yeah. And is I Detroit. guess it's that
1: point about being dependent on, on something. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting because you got a lot of, I mean, I've loved going around other and getting to know other American cities. I mean, they, that, I mean, that's a bad example. You've got some really great, cities, you know, that, that seem to be thriving and working and they're just really cool places to, to live and work. I love Chicago I thought it was an amazing Chicago's place, fantastic. but then you've got a huge problem with the with the crime. it's just so interesting how you have a city that is so great in so many ways and, and they've got this, this, this sort of pocket of real poverty and crime and that's been going on for years and despite all the other advantages and they've got a lot of you know, great economic growth going on there and so on and people visiting, and it's great, but they've still got this pro- this entrenched problem mm-hmm. with crime and and gun violence, and um you know it's just it's interesting how how long it takes for some of these problems to be worked out.
0: Yeah, Chicago's a disaster in that sense. It's a great city, but it's also yeah. a disaster in the sense of crime and gang violence. And I was there. I was talking to this guy who's a cop, and he was explaining it to me that a big problem is the drug trade, and that certain gang members were incarcerated and because they were incarcerated they created a vacuum that was there was a power struggle to try to fill the vacuum that power struggle started this sort of violent war Mm. going on between all these different criminal factions and then you know it builds up and you know he he was really kind of interesting because he was talking about he goes you know what? the best way to fix it he goes legalize drugs he goes, right. nobody wants to hear about it, but the reason why they're making all this money yeah. is, is because they're selling something that's illegal. And so when sell- you're selling something that's illegal, the only people that are doing that are the people that are criminals. And he goes, as soon as you make it legal, you deal with a personal choice issue. And the guy was like
1: very rational about it. He was like, you're dealing with a personal choice issue instead of a crime issue. But I think that's exactly right. I think is one of the more kind of interesting ways into that whole drug legalization argument is, is to think about the, the social problems that come from the current rules, not not just you know. The, a lot of times people talk about the you know, drug use being the social problem, but actually it's everything that comes from it, the crime and the gangs and and that's a, I think the, you know the the most intelligent argument for legalization. Yeah, and there
0: was a real uh, interesting article recently about Mexico. They were talking about the cartels like hemorrhaging money because they relied on marijuana trade, and now with legal marijuana, uh-huh. just the legal marijuana in Colorado and in Washington Washington. State and then all the medical places have massively diminished the um, amount of influence that these guys have the amount of wealth that they can get from selling illegal drugs because people don't need it anymore It's super easy to get so like the marijuana trade which is one of the most common drugs it's kinda drying up for them and so they're scrambling to try to find some other avenues of revenue it's pretty interesting Mm. stuff Mm. because It just shows people, like, this is this is what you do when you make things illegal. And it's, we should have figured it out in the 1920s with prohibition. Right. I mean, it's amazing that people are so goofy today that they still are, are, are dealing with the same issue that they kind of resolved in the 1920s. You, almost 100 years ago, they figured this out with alcohol, and they have to relearn the same lesson with uh, with cannabis. It's just, it's nutty. And it's, again, it's another thing where it's a personal issue where you have just too many goddamn laws. You have too many restrictions right. on I personal that's freedom. That's exactly
1: right. And it's interesting. I think that the the politicians have been put off for a long time from from doing anything about it by the kind of reaction that they'll think they'll get mm-hmm. from certain parts of the press and so on. But actually, I think that's changing, and it's re- changing really quickly here in America. Yeah. And the fact that you've got these ballot measures that are winning in different states and that's just going to accelerate I think.
0: Not just that, the amount of revenue they pull in with no resistance whatsoever. Colorado has 39% tax revenue on marijuana that's right. sold recreationally. 39% and everyone there's like, "Okay, 39% is cool." They're like no one's arguing over the most preposterous sales rate ever. I didn't know that. that is 39% lie. is fucking crazy. It's basically the government is a drug dealer. I mean, <laughs> That's what it is. I mean, so you're not just taking taxes. You're fucking a partner. You're a partner in this. 39% is a big partner. You're at almost 40%, okay? And then they're making over $100 million a year in tax revenue just in the state of Colorado. So when that kind of money starts coming in, mm. then they, that money has influence. And then they have to respect the pot dollar because the pot dollar is going to be a lobby just like anything else, just like the pharmaceutical lobby, just like the natural resource lobby, just like anything else. The pot lobby is going to be legit now because there's going to be a tremendous amount of revenue available and big business. There's big businesses that are moving into Colorado right now and establishing warehouse. Warehouse spaces in Colorado are just, they're evaporating. They're disappearing left and right because people are just picking them up. The way Colorado's laws are set up in order to to sell marijuana you have to grow marijuana so if you wanted to open up a shop in Colorado you'd have to grow your own stuff and then sell it you can't buy it from someone else and then sell it so they're just giant warehouses everywhere are being scooped up and they're setting up these massive grow ops and then they're funneling that money because it's being sold legally they're funneling that money right back into the state at a rate of 39% it's crazy and huge companies are slowly but surely creeping their way towards Colorado yep. because they realize this is this is a multi billion dollar industry in just a couple of years you 're looking at three, four, five years from now a multi-billion dollar industry nationwide, places where they're having serious money issues, serious problems with generating tax revenue, all of a sudden, all the profits that are going to illegal sales of marijuana, now 39% of that money is going to come right to the taxpayers, or right
1: to the tax collectors. Hmm. And have they got any, um, I I guess it's a bit early, but I was just wondering what what they're seeing in terms of people's behavior the usage lower crime the other drug is that right lower crime and lower murder rates murder rates have dropped in denver
0: yeah of course they're high they're they're gonna gonna get it twice well they're gonna think twice they're gonna think i don't need to cheat that dude (laughs) (sighs) guy's an asshole but whatever that's his problem you know look it's it's never good to suppress people and when you have something that's irrational like marijuana laws there's it, it, it gives people this feeling of frustration This this disconnect it gives them this feeling of being disenfranchised with the, the people that are supposedly in charge, you know, and it makes them upset like why should a grown man be able to come if there was only two of us we were living on an island. And I was like, Steve, I don't think you should smoke pot. If you smoke pot, I'm going to lock you in a fucking cage. He'd be like, You're an asshole. Right? Like, there's only two. What do you give a shit what I do? (laughs) It's when there's two million of us that you feel like you can get away with something like that. That someone can come along and say, I'm the sheriff, and if I find someone smoking marijuana in my district, I'm going to put them under lock and key. You know, I'm going to make our streets safe for the children.
1: All that stupid shit that they say. Well, what? It's just too many numbers. Yes. Too many people. But what I'm interested in is like just coming to, you know, I've been here two years now, but I do get a feeling that that is a really quite um, kind of almost mainstream position. A lot of people feel like that in America. Maybe it's a California thing. I don't know. But then I'm interested why the libertarian movement, you know, po- the political expression of that kind of attitude is the libertarian party, the candidates. They They don't seem to get anywhere. They don't seem to do well, even though that kind of attitude feels to me like it's really very kind of true to the american approach to things and is shared by a lot of people i, I kind of hear that a lot
0: i think it's slowly but surely starting to gain momentum mm-hmm. but i think the internet's influence is barely two, two, barely two decades 1994 to 2014 right that's that's the realistic take on it but the real impact, as far as like social impact i would I would say it 's probably a decade, so okay. ten years is not that much time, and then, in that decade, how much of it has been concentrated on social change and how much of it has been concentrated on porn? you know how much yeah. of it is concentrated on look, we can see tits anytime we want now, whoa. And this newfound freedom, this newfound ability to access information, it's, it's going to take a, t- a while before pe- – I think people are evolving right now. I really do. Socially, um, at, a, at a rate that's just unheard of. It's never, the, the, the kind of movements that you're seeing now, whether you agree with them or not, whether it's Operation Wall Street or whether it's mm-hmm. – uh, anytime there's a social change or social movement in this country, whether you agree with it or not, it's fascinating to step back and watch this swarm of activity that that takes place because of any issue that comes up now that really couldn't couldn't happen before without you know you'd have to have like a physical meeting you'd have to have people would get together and someone would have to have a megaphone and what we need to do is take back the streets yeah. what we need to do is make the world safe for our children and we need to get out of Vietnam yeah You know, and then, you know, the cops come and break it up and hose everybody down and they would shut down the problem. Well, you can't do that anymore. You can't shut down the problems because the problem exists on Reddit. The problem exists on millions Mm -hmm. of people's Twitter accounts where they're posting things. The problem exists on Facebook. The problem exists. Anytime there's dissent, that dissent sort of encapsulates. an entire group of people that share these ideas and they can freely communicate and I think they're just starting to realize that they can freely communicate the way they can and unfortunately a lot of them are annoying Uh, unfortunately a lot of people that have figured this out are annoying and you see these really dumb ideas that spread like wildfire wildfire and a bunch of idiots are behind it and it's that's fascinating to watch too but I think ultimately when it all balances itself out we're going to deal with a much more informed much more educated much more aware much more socially conscious society than we have ever had in the past i think a decade from now two decades two decades from now we're going to see the rewards of this and i'm very optimistic yeah, no, i
1: i like that that way of thinking about it and i i, I agree and i guess what we're the way the way we're thinking about it is that that we want to kind of ha- now, the next step, really, is to really take that energy and, and really direct it into the heart of the political system, mm. not kind of on the edges of it with kind of protests and, and, um, and sort of social movements, but really getting into the guts of the, of the, of the way laws are made and, and, right. and, the, and the way the country is run, the states are run, cities are run, and, and, and kind of injecting it into the, into the real heart of power. I think that's gotta be the next step.
0: Yes, I I agree, and I I hope that it can be done. I mean, I wonder if the way technology is advancing and the way technological innovation seems to exponentially increase, if there's some way to manage things in a way that's sort of um, not discovered yet, or Mm -hmm. sort of hasn't been, no one's figured out a way to sort of organize this whole thing in a way that's much clearer and now we're dealing it's almost like code like do you remember what code used to look like when you used to use dos and if you used an old computer you had to enter everything in command prompts yeah but then someone came along like xerox figured out this graphic user interface You're just well fuck all that just see that thing just double just press twice when you want that to open up and boom and then you see a, a graphic representation of what you want that's a much more simplistic Element. You don't have to look at all the code behind what you're doing when you're using Microsoft Mm -hmm. Word. Uh, Cut all that shit out. Let's just see. Let's let's make it real simple. And if we could get get it to that in politics, like, okay, what would make what would what would we have to do to make more money go towards school and less money go towards war? Like is that is that a way is there a way we could work that out? If you look at how much money is being spent in the Iraq War, how much money is being spent in Afghanistan, is there a way to take thirty percent of that? and put it into our schools, because, oh my God, the school system would radically change. Our education system would radically change. The amount of people that would come out of these educational systems that were more balanced, more aware, had more nuanced perspectives, would radically change. Our country would radically improve. Like, over the course of a decade, if you could just figure out a way to put that kind of power in people's
1: hands, what they choose to do. Well, I think the way that you do that is—it comes back to what we were saying earlier—is—is n- is actually literally doing it by by getting rid of these kind of big organisations, central government organisations that that try and run the whole system from some office somewhere that's completely removed from the from the parents and the kids that's actually using the schools, and and really give responsibility for the for the way the schools operate to local communities so that they can try things out because every kid is different they learn in different ways and whatever and it feels to me like when it comes to education we got this approach which is someone has decided you know this is the theory this is how we're going to get kids to learn whatever it may be and we're going to try and have a kind of common application of that in every school and everyone's going to teach the same way and that's great and i just think the the evidence shows that is not right it doesn't work for every kid and you want to have a system where you know you've got much more ability to experiment and try things out and adapt things to each each you know different type of child and the way that they learn and and i think we need to see a lot more kind of smaller schools where they're much more kind of community run a bit like you're saying with the gardening i think a sort of a community approach to these things is going to be the way to do it you definitely need the money of course to sort of have high quality as well so i agree with that it's just that If you just put more money into the current system of organising schools, I don't think you'll get the kind of benefit that you could if you actually gave the power over the system and took it away from the people at the center and put it in the hands of people locally that that's how i would do it
0: and if they did that you could also see the results positive and negative and imitate the positive ones exactly you could see like these people have an approach and their approach is more sort of waldorf school based and less electronics and more wooden toys and interacting with kids and look at the benefits like man all these people are coming out so creative but then there's another place in San Francisco that's much more tech involved. Everybody has an iPad and all these kids. Well, well, yeah, there's a benefit there as well. I mean, I think schools are a huge issue. The, the massive underfunding of education in this country is a huge, huge issue. And it's, it's madness. And it's almost like sort of ensuring that poverty and that this yeah, is going to be... Yeah, I think that's right. You and know a, what I mean?
1: Yeah, and at the, at a lot of it is the kind of people that go into teaching. You know, you, really, you'd want the best people the smartest, best people going into teaching. is like the most important job. That get paid um, $20,000 a year. Right, and that, if you're not <laughs> going to get that if you're paying them. Yeah. Those kind of, you know, it's really kind of obvious. We apply that in in every other kind of area. You kind of know that you, if you pay more, you get something better, generally. And I think that that is a huge part of it, is actually if you, you know, trying to get the best people. And, and the countries that have done really well, I, I think that... Um, Finland is a good example. From what I know, i you know I spent quite a lot of time on this when I was in the government. Finland is a is a place where it is the cultural thing. If you if you know a really um, admired and esteemed thing to do and well rewarded is to go and be a teacher. It's like one of the best things you can do, and that's true. I think of a lot of the Scandinavian countries, and they have better results as a you know thanks to that. So you've got to just get the best people to go into teaching. That's really important. In this country, the prohibitive cost of higher education
0: is shocking when you start thinking about how much Mm. money it costs to go to college how much money it costs to get a degree and you uh, you accumulate student loans that are almost insurmountable how many people get out of college in this country it's amazing that the the figures are just unbelievable they are so in debt yeah just stunningly in debt like i have a friend who is in his 50s and just paid off his 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 fifties uh, yes, wow, just paid off from medical school wow this is a fucking insurmountable debt, just insurmountable debt forever, yeah, just slowly but surely chipping away at hundreds of thousands of dollars
1: in in educational debt it 's really amazing i mean I, one of the things i 'm doing right now is teaching at Stanford a little bit and um and it's just, it really, it's, uh, there's, there's a kind of good point to it, which is that it's, it seems to me that the students are so much more um, hardworking and motivated than the ones that, well, certainly than I was when I was at university. But, uh, you know, it was all free when we did it in the UK. And here, it's not anymore, but it was when I was at, at, at college. And here, when they're paying so much or their parents are paying so much, they take it really seriously. And that's great. But the, the amounts of money involved... Just staggering. Really unbelievable. Especially when you get to law school or yeah. medical school or you know, any really expensive
0: school like Stanford. You know, that's a, a very prestigious school. It's gonna it yeah, must it's be ridiculous.
1: I mean, how much does a kid have to pay a year to go to school? I don't know, because they have a lot of um, uh, they do a they do a lot of great work to kind of make it possible for kids without the money to go. So they do a lot of grants and scholarships and I don't know how that all works out. Well that's nice. it's 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 a, it's a, but it's a huge amount.
0: Yeah that that's nice and it's beautiful to hear that they do something along those lines and it's also beautiful to hear that uh, I believe it was MIT has released all of its, its studies online you can take all of its classes online for free mm-hmm. I mean you can essentially get an MIT education through your home computer which yeah. Is very nice. You know, it's it's very nice that that, and you if you think about the amount of access that people have to higher education today, when it comes to online courses, when it comes to just papers that they could read and download, documentaries they can watch, different things that they can read, it's it's kind of incredible.
1: Yeah, and it's actually really powerful in not just thinking about America, but um, and people in the in the states who wouldn't have had that access but actually all over the world it's this you know in Africa where you you're just able to bring you know instruction and the you know the, the best people in the world the best teachers to the, the most remote village in Africa is completely staggering
0: yeah it is it is interesting and I've, I've always had a fascination with the the power that someone has in the position of being a professor and especially a professor with tenure yeah. where they have this you know This job that essentially is very difficult to get fired from. I mean, you have to really do something really fucked up to lose your position. And because of that, some of them, and I've had friends that have had these professors, some of them get these incredibly arrogant attitudes Mm -hmm. and they push their ideas as if their doctrine. Right. And they push their own political ideas and their own ideology, oftentimes a very left wing liberal agenda, to the point where it just infuriates certain parents and infuriates people who disagree with these ideas, who get silenced because, you know, it's the
1: professor's word and that is it. In my yeah. class, this is how I feel that is not this. education. I mean the you know, to me the whole point is you should be equipping the students to think for themselves and to and to kind of come to their own point of view, but give them the tools that they can do that with and and, and go out and then use that knowledge and ability to do great things in the world, not to kind of tell them your point of view i mean that's well you can tell them your point of view, but make clear that it is your point of view, and there are other points of view, and it 's up to them to decide what they think yeah, but that
0: lack of that humility is oftentimes lacking when you have a person
1: that has absolute power Yeah, that's right there there's no kind of accountability there because it's just you know they don't have to deliver anything that is like anymore. one of the common complaints right about yeah well, that was the amazing thing I love this speech that um, uh, Mike Bloomberg gave the other I think it was last week did you see this he went no. to Harvard and he gave a comm- commencement speech I think to Harvard where he really attacked them on this point and said that they had this kind of liberal bias in the in the faculty there that was just really bad and the opposite Perfect. of it, yeah, and he had this great uh, uh, piece of data which was that, if you look at, it's going back to campaign finance, if you look at the campaign finance records because, you know, everyone's donations are reported and when you, when you make a political donation, you have to say what your occupation is. So, you, you, you know, it's quite easy to to look at uh, types of professions or whatever and where their money goes and he got this piece of data which was that if you look at the political donations of ivy league faculty and staff and you look at where the money went in the last election the figure for how much went to obama was 96 percent. so it's like this total liberal dominance and he said that is just not healthy. That is not what a university is supposed to be. The problem is the alternative was
0: far more offensive. <laughs> if it went to John McCain and Sarah Palin, that four percent right. is the problem. Yeah, but believe it's- it or not, in this country, I mean, Obama's. I'm not a fan of what this administration has become, especially when it can turn when it can, uh, it deals with freedom of the press. When it deals with whistleblowers when it deals with uh, spying on Americans like all the revelation that we found out about the lack of privacy that people have I'm not a fan of that at all but goddamn having Sarah Palin as the vice president of the fucking United States would have been disastrous having a, an old man who's playing poker while they're talking about going to war with Syria who's was literally <laughs> sitting right. on his phone yeah. playing poker you know I mean what the fuck that was a president that that was the vice president. Those two dummies. I mean, that's a disaster. That's a fucking goddamn disaster. So, of course, the most educated amongst them went for the lesser of two evils, being Obama, being a guy who is uh, a very articulate and intelligent guy who's a whore. I mean, essentially, that's what Obama is. He's, he's, what he is is a guy who's a very intelligent, articulate guy who had these ideas and. Promoted this ideology, got into office, and did essentially exactly what Bush did I mean in worse when it comes to oh, and the security stuff, yeah yeah and you know all the things that we 're going to do we 're going to close down Guantanamo bay we 're going to get out of Afghanistan. It turns out most of it was bullshit, most of it i mean when you talk to people that are that are journalists. This country has a horrible record, and this administration has a horrible record on freedom of the press, a horrible record on, on punishing whistleblowers. And it's uh, the, the the lack of, the lack of respect for, for journalism and freedom of the press is, is very disturbing to people, because what, what is journalism truly? Well, what it truly is, is you're exposing reality. What a, a true journalist is doing is just exposing yeah. reality. When you punish people for doing that, when you punish people for blowing the whistle on, was essentially unconstitutional activities, like the NSA spying on every single fucking person on the planet, I mean, that's unconstitutional. When you record everyone's phone call, that's not what we want. And when the government supports things like that, I mean, how how is this the same guy that was like hope and change? How, how is this the same guy? Well, he's the same guy because... People that fucking got him in the office were the same people that got Bush in office, the same goddamn influences, and things like crowd pack things that you're trying to do would expose that for folks,
1: yeah, I think ab- that, I mean that's the idea we're trying to be and you know it's really important that we're um you know cl- it's you know we're just kind of nonpartisan. partisan so while we 've got a strong point of view about the system generally and how we can improve it, you know we don't really. It's, it's very important we don't take sides we don't have a point of view as a company about individual issues but i think that we we do really care about um changing the system and i think that one of the one of the things about the press that that sort of happens and i've seen this on kind of both sides of it is that if you there tends to be this kind of coziness that develops with a lot with a lot of the press particularly the traditional press where you know they want to have access to the politicians and the politicians want to get their message out and it just gets quite kind of cozy and so that whole role of investigation and exposing things um kind of sometimes takes a back seat to having a good relationship so that um you can get your message out and then they get access and i think that that's one of the things again that's really helpfully being changed by technology like you were saying which is that um You've got people who are able to get, you know, to, to do that job of investigation without having to be part of some cozy group around the politician. Yeah, it's going to lob
0: softballs at every I mean, if you see
1: it from the politician's point of view, their point of view, and it's, you know, there's a lot of truth to it, is that they're trying to do stuff. It's really, really hard, you know, trying to deal with some of these problems is difficult. Um, there's incredible expectations. Um, you get shit for what, you know, just trying, um, you're totally under scrutiny. Your life is under scrutiny. It's a really, really hard job. And they feel that the, increasingly the me- media and the press are really just interested in the trivial aspects of it and who's up and who's down, and they're not really interested in kind of exposing the complexity of some of these issues. Blah blah. blah. So that that's how the politicians see it. And then on the other side, and that, that's why they end up trying to you know have a relationship that enables them to, in the, in their you know in the way they see it to. To explain what they're trying to do a bit better, so that they, so people kind of give them a fairer hearing. So that's why that all happens. And you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that. To be honest, it is difficult what they're trying to do. Um, whatever, whatever your lib- liberal, democrat, or a conservative, Republican, it does makes no difference. It's difficult. Governing is difficult. It's complicated. The problems are complicated. Everyone's got their point of view. You're kind of being screamed at and yelled at the whole time, and it's hard. Now look, they choose to go into it. So we cannot feel sorry for them. You know, they made that choice. Like you said, they have that kind of, I'm going to be the leader and I'm going to go there and sort things out. So it's the choice that they made. But it is difficult. And that's why they want to, you know, try and kind of control the message, I think, because they feel that a lot of the time they don't get a fair hearing. Well, that makes sense in some ways. But it doesn't
0: make sense from the point of view of the people that are in the position of being a journalist. If you're in the position of being a That's journalist, fair you, enough. Yeah, your you, your your whole position is to expose inequality, expose violations of the constitution, and when you you're you're in one of those places where you, whether it's for CNN or Fox News or whoever you're working for, if you get to sit down with Dick Cheney or you get to sit down with Obama, you're already muted you're already neutered, you're already silenced, mm-hmm. you don't get that chance to... pro. They're never going to have Glenn Greenwald sit down with Obama in an open internet forum that airs in real time live. They would never agree
1: to that. They would never agree to it's that. It's weird actually because it's a really different tradition in England. When you look at the way that interview, if anyone watches a TV interview of a politician in England, it's so different to what you get here. They're really aggressive with them. Really? Really, really really aggressive. And and the kind of softball stuff <laughs> is actually kind of embarrassing for a journalist to do that. And, oh. and there's a different tradition. Well, we used to have that. It's really, it's a, I've really noticed the difference. They shot a few people <laughs> and parked some cars on railroad
0: tracks with families in them, and then people kind of stopped doing that. Um, I think that guys like Glenn Greenwald, who lives in Brazil mm. and gets to sort of attack America from a distance, you know, at least until they find him. I think uh what what guys like him are doing with you know he was the one who helped uh, Edward Snowden release all of his documents and yeah uh, the these these new players in this whole game these outsiders that don't have to cozy up don't have to be a part of this uh this nepotism that we're we're seeing with the the big ones I mean any anybody that's in any sort of a large group Fox and CBS and NBC you're a part of this wacky system you're a part of this system that's not going to expose these things it's going to let these people get their message out because if you don't you're not going to get the big names if you don't get the big names you're not going to get the ratings and then those big names are going to go to fox those big names are going to go over to cnn they're going to go somewhere else and you're going to lose this this yeah that's exactly how
1: it seems to work here that's what i've noticed
0: Yeah. yeah that is it it is it and it I I believe it's getting exposed. And I believe it's getting exposed in a way today that just wasn't happening 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you would just be frustrated. And you would just go off and you'd write a book, and everybody would go, Oh, he's a nutter. Look at the fucking crazy book that guy wrote. And, you know, some people would read the book and say it was amazing, and other people would just ignore it. And new revelations would take place along the way, and whatever had happened would be forgotten. And then the politician would get out of office. And I think George Bush is the last guy to sort of skate away like that. And, you know, now he sits around and paints weird pictures and slowly goes insane. (laughs) Have you seen the things he's doing? He's slowly going insane. I mean, he's he's painting pictures and he's locked in this world of uh, he's essentially in a prison on a ranch. I mean, that's what he is. He's constantly circled by Secret Service agents. He's hated all over the world. He's at least indirectly responsible for over a million deaths. This one guy, they're pinning it on him and Dick Cheney and his administration and this sort of pyramid of events. And this guy feels that shit. And he's just sort of wandering around on his fucking ranch, painting himself, staring at himself in a bathroom mirror. I mean, it's really, really weird stuff. And I think he's probably going to be the last guy that ever, skates off into the sunset with this 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 knowledge i think obama is going to be held accountable for a a lot more than bush ever was and i think whoever's next is Mm -hmm. truly fucked whether it's Jeb Bush or whether it's whatever, you know, new Democrat they try to sneak into, I don't know, Hillary Clinton. I don't know w- what they're trying mm-hmm. in 2016. And we won't know for a while because they have to vet out everyone's fucked up vices and right. skeletons in their closets.
1: And in this day and age, it's which almost is, Which impossible. is terrible, I think, by the way, because that's one of the reasons that so many people get put off. Yes. from You know, because a lot of the complaints you hear about politics as well, we just get the same kind of people. They're all kind of, you know, very... Um, kind of similar to each other and there's a particular type of person that goes into it and actually a lot of people who I think could make a really good contribution don't do it exactly for that reason they just don't want to live under that kind of spotlight because well, and can't. they're just normal human beings and they've got stuff that you know they had fun right? Exactly. they had fun in their life exactly. I mean the
0: people that have had fun you know I mean you can't you have one gay affair when you're 20 years old with a guy for a couple of weeks and you're fucked for the rest of your That guy's out there waiting to talk shit about you if you run for president. You know, there's one time you did a little bit of heroin when you were on the road with a bunch of your buddies. You you, you know, we were, you are in college, you tried heroin. Oh, those fucking college buddies are ready to write a book about you doing heroin. I mean, there's a, it's a weird time when it comes to exposing people's yeah. past and this idea of this perfect person from the cradle to the grave running for president is preposterous. Is preposterous. You don't want it that is. person. That person, if they've never made any mistakes, that means they've never taken any chances. If they haven't taken any chances, they haven't lived. And I'm not talking about mistakes like victimizing people, horrible things that are completely unconscionable that you wouldn't do and I wouldn't do murder and robbery and kidnapping all sorts of terrible things that are just massive you know ethical errors that just shouldn't be ever tolerated from a person's character just little things like here's a perfect example there's a woman who's running for mayor right now in Mississippi and apparently when she was younger she was a prostitute and it this is a it's a big story that you know folks are trying to figure out like what is is that okay like how do we how do we handle this like what what do you do about a person who had made mistakes when they were younger like what is uh, what is the answer to this and no one really knows
1: they don't really have the answer to that they're trying to figure out like when what is happening in that in that is it is it um, playing against her or what's the yes for sure Uh, she's in
0: Mississippi and she revealed it herself Um, she revealed she was a former prostitute, and she was a prostitute, like, I believe it was 30 years ago, and mm. she met her husband while uh, he was a John, and uh, yeah. he was one of her clients, and uh, she married him, and she hasn't been a prostitute since, and now she's running for mayor, and it's it's uh, it's it's quite fascinating.
1: I think it's interesting, and I think in a lot of ways, um, you could see that and think, this person is actually really well qualified to be in office, because obviously, you know, going through those sorts of experiences will give you a sense of empathy for, you know, the tough lives that some people have, and this and the circumstances that end up putting them in that situation. And it probably makes you better, not worse. Well, not only that, what she did
0: was totally legal as well. She yeah. was in a legal brothel in Nevada. And it was over 30 years ago. And she hasn't been there since. And the idea that this person is not allowed to make errors and that she wouldn't have developed like a lot of empathy and character and uh, she wouldn't have a a, a more balanced perspective than a person who's grown up in a very privileged household with very rich, wealthy, connected people and then they got him to an Ivy League school and then he became a member of Skull and Crossbones and blah, 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 blah. Instead of that, well, you have a person who's, who was 14 and was pregnant with a child and had to take care of her child, and her parents died. Yeah. And she had, was forced into a situation where she had to earn a living, and she didn't have a lot of options. And this was one of her options that she chose. And how could you judge someone who's a teenager that makes those choices? I mean, I don't think you can. And I think this person, I
1: mean, good for her that she stepped up and talked about that. I totally agree. About I that. think it's great. And I, again, it's kind of interesting that some... Types of early childhood adver- adversity are kind of okay mm-hmm. for your political resume. You yeah, know, I came from a poor family and a broken home, where Bill Clinton had a you know, mm-hmm. and and it's okay. That kind of um, difficulty is is acceptable. But then there's this other category, which is sex. just just as character form. Sex and drugs and whatever they're just as character forming potentially, but are not acceptable.
0: Yeah, the sex one's the wackiest one ever because it's totally legal like say if this woman had you know x amount of clients per month if she just fucked a bunch of guys you know everybody would be like ah she was young she was (laughs) young she was getting wacky but fucking a bunch of guys for money is a problem but if she just massaged guys no problem I mean, if she gave them pleasure by rubbing their bodies, by rubbing their shoulders and backs, no one would have an issue with it.
1: But by doing something to their penis Well, it by the way, if, if it was one of the guys, one of the clients running for office, and it was, you know, it's okay to be a client. That's fine. Sure, that you know, it's not something you'd be proud of. But if that was kind of exposed or whatever that yeah. wouldn't be a barrier
0: sure even 10 years ago forget about 30 years ago if 10 yeah. years ago the guy went to a prostitute and said listen I was horny I didn't have any options I had a few bucks I paid someone to touch my penis people would go
1: yeah exactly it's totally kind of you know, sexist kind of way of thinking about it that sex it's should it, sex should be legal to sell that's what I think I
0: absolutely 100% believe that prostitution should be legal I wouldn't want my daughters to do it. I wouldn't want my friends to do it. I wouldn't want loved ones to do it. But I wouldn't want them to work at Wendy's either. I wouldn't want them to work on the the, the people that you see on the highway picking up dirt or uh, picking up uh, garbage by the side of the road. I I wouldn't want them to be pouring asphalt in the hot summer. I wouldn't want anybody to work a difficult job. Mm. I think emotionally it's got to be incredibly difficult to have sex with someone that you don't want to have sex with. But I don't think it should be illegal. If it's legal to have sex with people, how the fuck can it be legal or illegal to pay to have sex with people or have someone pay you to have sex with you it seems ridiculous it seems just as ridiculous as making massage illegal
1: yeah i don't i I don't know i honestly haven't thought about it enough one of the things that um i definitely feel strongly about is that if we're going to make that kind of decision the the sex trade the sex trafficking trade needs to be you know one of the ways you think about it because that is just so evil and disgusting completely evil completely disgusting and whatever decision you make has to make that better not worse right and i don't know i haven't really thought it through enough but that's a very
0: good point that's a very good point i think there would probably be far less demand Mm -hmm. for sex trafficking for illegal sex trafficking if prostitution was legal if adults could make that decision If some woman, you know, was in a situation which was like, you know, I'm reasonably sexually attractive and I make X amount of money per month doing this, I can make that same amount in a day having sex with people. Okay, I'll just do that. You know, if if it's a woman's choice to do so, and some women would have no problem with that choice. The real problem, of course, is victimization. The real problem is exploiting young people, Mm -hmm. victimization, and objectifying women. But doesn't that already take place and isn't part of what objectifying women the pr- part of this issue is the it's very difficult for some people to find sexual partners so there's like this thing with this Elliot uh, whatever Elliot Rogers this crazy kid that shot up everybody oh, and, in and, Santa Barbara yeah, yeah. Barbara the, the the nuttiest response that I've seen to this the craziest most infuriating response is by these people that believe that if women weren't so stuck up this guy wouldn't have gone on a rampage because he would have been able to have sex with more people but, or he would have been able to get people to have sex with him. Who's that's pick-up artists and the women these women hating fuckheads there's there's a bunch of guys that they 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 operate under this um this guise of being for men's rights okay and, you know it's kind of funny because i didn't even know there was like there's a a, a thing called an mra uh, it's a men's rights advocate or activist okay. and it's an insult f- from feminists i got called an mra once and i was like what the fuck does that mean so i i, I had a google mra men's rights, and i thought it was ridiculous that wow how could you be a feminist but be making fun of someone who's into men's rights like, shouldn't we all have rights? I mean, shouldn't shouldn't there? But then I started looking into these men's rights guys, and I go,
1: okay, I see what's going on what here. They d- I, they're what? more ridiculous. This is not the kind they're of radical feminists. Fathers stuff no. like because there's a there's some campaigns that make some good points about yes. dad support yes and and the rights custody. of a father after divorce
0: exactly yes i agree with that 100 percent but there's they go way further than that and they they go into relationships and they go into the way men are treated versus the way women are treated people are treated in in bad ways by bad people and in good ways by good people but if you're a shithead people are not gonna like you and just because you're a shithead and people don't like you doesn't mean women are assholes it means you're undesirable and one of the reasons why you're probably undesirable is because you have a terrible attitude about things and this terrible attitude about things is not gonna change you know it's it's not going to change because women have sex with you like your, your attitude sucks you're not a pleasant person. There's a lot of people who have shit personalities, and they get involved in this men versus women debate. Well, what is the, but it has nothing to do what, with men versus women.
1: What kind of things do they... I mean, the men's right... What is that? What well, are they say, calling for? Is there a, you know... Well, there's so much planned. nonsense. There, there, I, I don't even really want
0: to get into it because some of it, some of it is so fucking stupid, and I've been reading these things over the last couple of days, and I'm trying to erase them from my memory because <laughs> some of these poorly written articles by these men yeah. are so stunningly stupid. Like, one of them was... This guy was talking about how he was around this 60 year old man and this 25 year old woman who is his uh, his uh, incredibly hot wife, and that this 25 year old woman was insulting this man, and you know that this is this this is the anguish that this guy had to deal with, and how horrible it is, and this is what men have to deal with. And I was like, that might be one of the dumbest fucking arguments I've ever heard in my life. First of all, what if it was a 25 year old man and a 60 year old woman? That was this old, r- r- wretched creature that this guy was forced to fuck for money. Like, would you be on the man's side or the woman's side then? Or, w- w- which, which position would you take there? Of course this woman is going to say shitty he thinks, this old man. She's not supposed to be fucking him. She's supposed to be having sex with a 25-year-old man or a 35-year-old man or someone reasonably close to her age, where they would be naturally sexually attracted to each other. What you're dealing with is a bizarre situation where someone has sort of circumvented the system. System by acquiring money yeah and it's by a power thing. yeah it's, it's exactly and it's, by acquiring yeah. money this guy's figured out a way to get some 20 year old hottie to marry him and yeah she doesn't like it so she complains and I'm I'm reading this and I'm like does this guy who the fuck is this guy writing this article talking to who are his friends like why? how is that an argument yeah that is nuts yeah I, I, I don't even want to pull the article up I don't want to reference it I yeah, don't, don't want to fair t- enough but it's just What you're dealing with with these men is a bunch of nitpicky shitheads with terrible personalities that are complaining about men getting a bad rap in this world. If you do well in this life, you have an amazing chance as a man. Of, of being sexually successful, of having a great life, of not being persecuted, of not being raped, of not being beat up by your spouse. I mean, the, the idea that men don't have the better end of the deal is unbelievably ridiculous. When you look at this Donald Sterling guy, this fucking shithead yes. that owns the Clippers, he's 82. His girlfriend was in her 20s. And it, this, this, this possibility... Only exists for men it doesn't exist for women there's very few 82 year old women who have attractive 20 year old boyfriends it just doesn't exist there's very too very few i think you you want to watch
1: watch what madonna does um
0: a few years down the line do you know how what what kind of a monster like a lot of young men would feel like madonna was if madonna was trying to fuck them like, like that's repulsive Men. And uh, an idea of a powerful, attractive man who's in his 50s dating a 20-year-old woman is not alien at all. But the
1: idea of a powerful woman in her, what is Madonna in her 60s? How old is she? I think she's 50s but I think that that's what's really to be honest really cool about what she's doing with her which is like she's just really constantly challenging those kind of stereotypes but is she well I think so by the to way who? she I don't know I think that she's certainly I think she's got a pretty intelligent point of view on some of these these sort of gender issues because well, she she really you know I mean and and that, I think the fact that people find it uncomfortable is kind of making the point that we're agreeing about which is that this is not how it's supposed to be
0: Yeah, well, she's
1: she doesn't even consider
0: herself a feminist. She considers herself a humanist, which I agree with wholeheartedly and this idea of uh, men's rights What's really offensive about it is that you know They're concentrating entirely on the ideas and the problems that men face when I think the only ideas and promises problems that men face the only ones are child custody and getting robbed in divorces Other than that, shut the fuck up. I really do believe that. I think those are the only two issues. Other than that, please shut the fuck up. Because when I hear about a guy complaining that a 20-year-old wife is is mean to a 60-year-old rich man, oh, poor baby. This is what you do Go out and get more 20 year old wives Okay You're fucking rich as shit And you're old What are you gonna live forever dummy You know, Go get some prostitutes Go do it Be nice to them Give them cars You know what, Do what Donald Sterling did Sturley. He got that girl Like five Rolls Royces And Bentleys And Ferraris And shit And it still didn't work out that, You know why it didn't work out She didn't wanna fuck him They don't wanna fuck you You're 80 Okay That is just the law Of the land That's the way life works This is the natural Balance of nature and you know you you've you've figured out a way to inject influence and power and money and sort of pervert this whole system yeah and when you complain about this perversion not working out in your favor, and this is why we need men's rights, it's go, oh, fucking Christ, you whiny bitches. You guys aren't
1: men. You yeah, guys are it's babies. Totally ret- I, I think it's just unbelievable that they're even trying to... They're babies. They're babies. say that stuff.
0: Babies. And they're not recognizing the issues that women do have to deal with women have to deal with worrying about groups of men women have to deal with worrying about if i walk into a parking lot okay and it's at night and i see a woman in that parking lot i'm not worried about that woman but if i was a woman Mm -hmm. and i walked to a parking lot and i'm walking in my car and i see a man and that man's looking me in the eye i have to wonder what kind of a man that is i have to think about that i have to think about that as a man But as a woman, you really have to think about that. It's very rare that a man gets robbed by a woman in a parking lot. Of course it can happen, especially if the woman has a weapon. Of course, if you're in Russia, she might rape you. You know, there's there's some stories about Russian women. You know, there's some story about she held some man captive and force-fed him Viagra and fucked him for 30 days. That's Russians. They're crazy. Some Russian chick might actually do that to you. But for the most part it's a non-issue or statistically speaking it's a very 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 small percentage of the population has to worry about this for women the amount of women that get sexually assaulted the amount of women especially like in college it's crazy in college it's you know something like more than one out of ten women get sexually assaulted in college i don't know what the exact numbers are i've read varying reports but even ten percent is fucking crazy it's a really
1: big problem i agree it's a big
0: problem if you're a yeah. woman, because men are aggressive. We're That's aggressive, right. we're filled with testosterone, and we need to come. It's a real problem. Every day our balls are building up more more sperm, and if you're a shithead, and if you were raised improperly, and you don't have respect for women, or the opposite sex, or anyone in general other than your selfish self, yeah, so we, we have problems. We have problems with that. So, yeah, we need accountability as men, but... It would also help if there was places where people could relieve themselves. It would also pl- help if there was a hand job place on every corner. I mean, God damn Every it. corner. Why not? There's a <laughs> massage place in every corner. That's if you drive true. down the street in L.A., if you drive, go to Ventura Boulevard, uh-huh. drive down the street. If your back is bothering you, you can find a massage place one a mile. You'll see a, a neon light Thai massage, Swedish massage, this massage. You can go in and get your neck rubbed. Why can't you get your, your balls rubbed? Why can't you? Why not? because we're crazy because we have these weird ideas about sex we have these weird ideas about what is evil and it's based on the puritan values that this country was founded on which are founded by religious nuts who who were were so kooky that they got in boats to escape persecution and traveled across a fucking ocean i mean that is the, the echoes of this ignorance is still propelling us today
1: yeah I think that, I don't know, I think that with all that stuff, the thing, I, I've got a lot of sympathy for it, but I just keep coming back to this thing about, well, what is the, if, you know, what is it, are you going to set up a situation where it's not really a choice? That there's some kind of economic or other power that's, that's, that's that means that, or pressure that means that, um, even though you kind of treat it like a marketplace where everyone's freely entering into it, is that really going to be the case? I think that's the question. I, just I think you're totally right. I don't know. Um, and, and I'm not suggesting, by the way, that
0: prostitution is going to stop rape. You know, what, what I'm suggesting is that there are real issues with, with human sexuality, and there's real issues with making things illegal that shouldn't be illegal, yeah. whether it's drug use or whether it's sexuality. I I think there's real issues in suppression. And I think when you suppress people from doing things, whether it's suppressing them from using marijuana, suppressing them from drinking, suppressing them from wearing certain clothes, suppressing women from driving, when you suppress human beings from things that are illogical, and I I find it illogical that sex is illegal to sell. Mm. Uh, And I'm not saying I want to go to prostitutes. I don't. I don't. But I think they should be legal. I really do. I think it's nonsense. I think we live in this weird world where... If something is legal to do for free how is it possible that it's illegal to do for money it doesn't make any sense I see your point of view and I agree with it wholeheartedly that you do have to worry about people being sold into this that you have to worry about them being somehow or another compromised by this this overwhelming need for, for you know, the, the financial revenue that can be generated from sex and that people could be exploited and that could be a, a real issue with the objectification of women. It could change the cultural attitudes about things. But if you go to countries where z- z- it is legal, they yeah. have prostitution, I was just going to say, I like think in Holland, in, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they find lower instances of AIDS, lower instances of like Jim Jeffries is a buddy of mine who's a, a stand up comedian from Australia. In australia mm-hmm. brothels are legal and he talks about how divorce rates are way lower in places where brothels are legal because the men don't need to cheat on their wives like some men just give up they can't they can't get sex with their wife and they go, fuck i'm fucking out of here and they they get divorced and they go through this huge stressful situation in australia you just go to a brothel you know, and Jim was joking around about how his his mom and his dad were fighting, and his mom was like, "Yeah," and he goes to the brothel every night. And I don't know if you know that, <laughs> or every Wednesday night, and he goes, "Not every Wednesday." You know? <laughs> that was that was the punchline, and it, I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's whether or not people are being exploited. That becomes the problem. But that becomes the problem with everything. I mean, if people are being exploited into labor, if children are being forced to work in factories at at young ages, which they are in other countries, and typically other countries that provide us with these these goods that we so want, cell phones, laptops, all these different... I mean, how many children every year are scraping minerals out of the mountains that they need to, to, to use to make electronics? There's a lot of them. And this is exploitation. This is exploitation that we benefit from. And I think that we have to address all forms of that. But we also have to address ridiculous laws that don't make any sense. And any time you try to control people, any time you try to suppress people's ability to express themselves in any way, if you don't like it, yeah. you know, whether it's walking topless down the street, you can do it if you're a man, you can't do it if you're a woman. And that's what they're, they're dealing with in New York City now. In New York City, you're allowed to be topless. As a woman, like, the, um, there's some woman who calls herself the fucking naked cowgirl, and she's getting mm-hmm. sued by the naked cowboy. Because the naked cowboy is a guy who, he wears underwear, and he plays guitar with a cowboy hat on. And he's like this sort of tourist attraction in New York. Well, women are allowed to be topless now as well in a lot of places. Because, the, like, the idea is, well, why is a man allowed to have no shirt on, but a woman has to have? It's because you're saying that breasts are much more sexual, when they're on a woman, and that they need to be, they need to be covered. And that sort of de- develops a sort of inequality in the law that a woman is, you know, a woman is uh, oppressed or a woman is um, subject to laws that a man is not, and that seems to be very difficult to pass. So you know, you deal with some situation where women are allowed to be topless, and they should be. How many guys get arrested for being gigolos? Is it zero? I mean, when was the last time a guy got arrested for fucking a woman because she paid him to? Has it ever even happened? The yeah. women get arrested for prostitution all the goddamn time.
1: You know, Well, I, t- I totally agree with that. I mean, that is the rather than the people um, using them. Yeah, it's just totally I, I agree with that. I think that when there's all I, you're right, that there's so many kind of weird things about sex and, and and how that kind of plays out when you think about sort of social issues and stuff like that. And I think one of the biggest things that's going on is um, the way that kind of so that kind of the this, this sort of sexualization of of, you know, like public space and the, w- the kind of world around us is like really influencing more and more children. I think that they're kind of it's mm-hmm. getting younger and younger that sh- kids are being exposed to kind of sexualized stuff um, that is a real problem because it's changing their expectation of mm-hmm. what sex is. And there's lots of studies now showing how that, you know, like kids' sexual behavior is really different. You know, boys sort of viewing porn and violent porn at a much earlier age, thinking that that's how you behave, treating women really badly. Women thinking mm-hmm. of themselves as sexual objects more. I think there's a lot of kind of quite deep problems that are coming out and we'll see in the years ahead from the way that that is just you know like sexual images and content is just becoming much more widely available for for younger kids that's a really good point
0: because it's so prevalent and it's so uniquely new the ability to download porn on a cell phone so essentially if your child is 12 and they have an iphone you send them off to school they're watching people fuck yeah i mean they're gonna there's, that's right. There's no way you're going to stop them. If that phone has Internet data, if it has Internet access, those kids are going to look at images. If they have somehow or another some, some access to an iPad or a laptop or something that's connected to Wi-Fi, if it's not blocked through some sort of a complicated filter that they probably know how to dismantle better yes. than you do, they're going to see sex. They're going to see sex in a way that we never saw sex. You know, I have this joke in my act that is a true story about when uh, I was 11 years old, me and a couple of my friends found a magazine in the woods that was a foot fetish magazine. <laughs> and uh, we it took us like uh, a few minutes to realize what was going on when we were looking at this magazine, because it was really confusing.
1: You thought it was like as a podiatry today or something? No, no, we was thought it was a porn magazine it for sure. Obviously, that was the intent that yeah okay
0: well we we were in the woods all right, and um, I don't know if you've ever found porn definitely magazines never found in the a woods foot fetish. Do you like, ever find a, any- a
1: hustler or a yeah, penthouse in the definitely. woods? In the woods, right? Yeah. Well, in the park. In the lo- Yeah, we really have woods where we were.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's always like some poor bastard who's hiding his urges. It's like-
1: a classic. It's a rite of passage. You know, yes. when we were growing up, I think that, you know, it's very important everyone had that experience. Internationally. Uh, yeah. Because for me, it was in Florida, and for you, it was in England. Right. It was amazing, right? But the
0: foot thing, that yeah. is, you know, exactly. unexpected. So. What, the point was that we found these this bag that had these magazines in it, and we're going through this one magazine, and it took us like many pages in. To my my friend goes, dude, this shit is all just dicks and feet. Like that's that's what he said, and we were. And to this day, I, I laugh thinking about my friend saying that, and that we were stunned and confused. Well, we were just looking at a magazine, and we were eleven. You know, today kids get to watch actual sex, and right. apparently, the sexual activity of children is changing. Like, someone did some study recently that showed this massive increase in anal sex yeah. amongst uh,
1: children under eighteen years of age. Yeah, it's really—I I think it's a really big deal. All mm-hmm. This stuff, I really do. And and it's and it's the sexual activity is changing. It's the kind of relationship between um, men and boys and girls. You know, that's mm. changing, and the whole kind of. Um, we talked about it early in terms of, you know, women's rights and men's rights. And I think that that, you know, the expectations of how to behave yeah. and how to treat women and women's own sense or young women, their own sense of themselves as um, primarily being about their, you know, sexual, sexual persona. I think that's all really a concern. You know, it's actually setting back some of the kind of progress that's been made in terms of women, women's equality. I, I, I agree, but I think, Hopefully, at least because I'm I'm the
0: eternal optimist, I think it's temporary and I think that ultimately it's all going to even out because I think that what people are doing is they're looking at these things like if if women are engaging in these sexual activities uh, at a much earlier age, they're looking at it as like this is something that they need to do to become more attractive to men because this is what they've seen. They've seen this. My thought on all of this is that we're going to reach a point within our lifetimes, probably within the next few decades, where we're going to be able to read each other's minds. I I think it's inevitable. You know, Mm -hmm. over your house, actually, was the first time I ever tried Google Glass. Right. And I remember putting this thing on and scanning it and and Googling things and looking at navigation screens in front of my eye thinking, man, shit's going to get really fucking weird soon. Yeah. I think we're going to be able to read each other's minds. I think this, this whole dance that we do, do you like me, do I like you, you know, who well, I'm going to really play hard yeah. to get, I'm going to fucking do this, I'm going to be the girl that takes it in the ass and all the boys are going to like me. You know, I think all that nonsense, I think it's going to, it's going to become far more complex. The Human interaction is going to become far more complex because our concept of, of secrets is going to go out the window. That's really interesting, actually. I don't think yeah. it's going to exist anymore. I think yeah. if you look at the trend, what is the trend? The trend is that information is easier to access now than ever before. And it becomes easier to access and easier to access to the point where you can ask your phone questions with your voice. You press a button. You know, who is Steve Hilton? But and it's Steve Hilton is a blah, blah 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 blah, and it gives you the information, but that 's just one step, and it 's not going to stop there it 's not halting it 's exponentially increasing so what is what 's the trend? The trend is dissolving boundaries between people and information that information includes information in your own mind. That information includes there's going to be a much more effective interface than looking at a screen and asking a screen a question. The interface is going to be somehow or another a neural implant, something that you inject into someone's body like nanobots. It's going to, there's going to be some weird sort of an interface. And when that happens, they're going to come up with a better one a year later. It's going to be a more invasive one. A more, and then we're going to have to come to some sort of an agreement where we, we're going to say, hey, listen, in order for human, the human race to uh, establish an enlightened perspective, we're all going to have to look into each other's heads. We're all going to have to be able to read each other's minds and find out how we think and feel. And so there'll be no more mystery in this world. There'll be no more romance novels. There'll be, no more, there's no, there'll be unnecessary. There's not going to be any romance. Is going to be this weird hive mind thing going on, and it's
1: going to happen within a hundred years. Mm. And it's—I think that's incredibly interesting, and, and the the way that that will change so many things if, if people just you know if if that comes to pass and people can ju- just know what the other person's thinking. Well, about think
0: about what it used to be like before yeah. language is established. People used to yeah. grunt and point and kind of try to figure out what the other person wanted. I mean, we're essentially monkey people. What did we do? We we figured something out. We got to this point. And now you compare your life today to that point. Like I I was in a conversation with a friend and uh, we have another friend that is like, uh, he's becoming a prepper, you know? Like uh, he's fucking setting up his house for solar water and collecting rainwater, or solar, uh, solar power and connecting, collecting rainwater and growing his own fruits and vegetables and doing so in a, this fear that society was going to collapse. And my friend Jimmy was like, If society collapses, you don't want to live, man. Like, you don't want to be that one fucking guy that's got all the food and you're, you know, standing on your porch with a rifle and you're all taking turns waiting for the zombies to come over the hill, you know, sounding the horns and alerting the people that the barbarians have arrived. You don't want to do that. You don't want to go back to those days. You just don't. And I think that we we don't want to go back to the days of no language. And we're not going to want to go back to the days of, of secrets. We're not going to want to. Once, once the no secret thing happens, and people just get this kind of understanding
1: of what it is to be a human being yeah no it's r- r- it 's universal yeah, it reminds me of that so, there 's this um work going on at Stanford they have a virtual reality lab, and they 're looking at how virtual re- reality could change the way people think about other people about other issues you know there's there's one experiment they 're doing where i probably... i'm trying to get it right where they i think they put you as like in a forest situation you think you're in a forest and they and then they measure or some n- nature some example of nature and then they see how you know, they really give you a, a deep experience of that through virtual reality and then they look at your behaviour in the next week after that to see if you're more conscious of that you recycle more, you, you change your behaviour because of this, this completely false experience you've had to give you this virtual reality experience and, and that's what they're researching in all sorts of other ways and I think it's just, and they're showing that it does wow. and you can actually influence someone's behaviour by giving them this sense of another world yeah, and that's again just in its infancy. You know, the the virtual reality stuff is just getting going, and um, and I just think it's interesting all these things how they will affect so many aspects of how we relate to each other and think about these issues that, that at the moment are just so kind of superficially dealt with. It's going to get really
0: squirrely when that artificial reality is indistinguishable from the reality mm-hmm. that we're experiencing right now, because that's coming too. You know, that's what the whole simulation theory is uh, is is based upon. You know, this idea that one day we're going to get to a point where you, you can't tell whether or not we live in a computer or we live in the material carbon-based flesh world. And if that's the case, how do we know that we haven't already gotten to that point? How do we know that we're not in a computer right now? And we're thinking that we're experiencing this reality, but it's not. It's not really happening. It's We're just a part of a program. And that it's so good that you just, you can't,
1: you think you really are Steve Hilton. You're not Steve Hilton. And you see, you know the truth, Joe. I always, <laughs> I always thought you'd suss you'd it out. The thing is that when you, it, it, this kind of gets to a point where I just kind of, I can't handle it anymore. My brain cannot literally cope with uh, thinking about some of this stuff. I remember a friend of mine repeatedly trying to explain to me like quantum physics and quantum things, and I just literally can't understand it yeah the quantum stuff is hard <laughs> really hard i have a i had a, but this d- notion of you know alternate realities and things going on at the same time and i just can't get my head around it it's almost impossible
0: to do it's it's really like when you we start getting into quantum stuff i don't even think they understand it i mean they they understand it in terms of these theoretical concepts but mm. it's so abstract in a lot of ways when you're dealing with things like when they start talking about subatomic particles and they start talking about the things that they actually do know, like the things that you actually can measure. You can observe. Yeah. yeah. Like particles in superposition, meaning they're in movement and still at the same time. When they're talking about things blinking in and out of existence, they go away and they don't know where they went. And then they come back. Well, just that alone, the measurable stuff is so crazy that the lowest point, not the lowest, but the smallest measurable point of reality, which is this, these, these quantum ideas the world's made of magic things appear and disappear things are still and they're moving at the same time they're here and they're there they're in two different places at the same time and they can take particles and they can move them across the world and when they interact with each other they interact with each other faster than you can count faster than you can measure they interact with each other like instantaneously faster than, the, the, than any kind of communication that we could have between these particles, given the amount of distance that's in between them. The speed of light, the speed of sound, they, they, they're instantaneously interacting with each other. Now they're figuring out a way how to send particles through time. They're figuring out ways to send particles through time, to actually time travel with particles. And so all this stuff that they're doing right now is just one step on this never-ending quest for technological innovation, this never-ending quest uh, where people are trying to satisfy their curiosity. They're not going to stop. They're never going to stop.
1: If we don't get hit by an asteroid, if we don't yeah, get... I think that's right. That's, you know, And you get all these good things coming from that Yeah, along the way. I mean, I, just, I don't understand it, but um, eventually it leads to things that we all can use and, um, and deal with, and a lot of those things are really good. I don't think that... I think one thing I would say about all this stuff is that, generally speaking, we are not critical enough of the technological advances. I think that a lot of them are obviously, you know, improvements. You know, if you think about just technology going back many years, you know, the way that, I don't know, like labor-saving devices in the home completely sort of freed women from the, the drudgery and the horrific kind of... Washing machines. All that stuff that was just kind of such a terrible experience. And that's all... that's a sort of simple example of technology being really transformational in a positive way and i think generally that's probably true of technology it's usually an improvement but i do think that we have this kind of attitude of assuming it's good and just and not really questioning it do we really want that right i think that doesn't happen enough often the answer will be yeah we do that's great fantastic bring it on but I don't think we stop enough to ask the question. And I think the scientists and the people doing this stuff, they don't really think about that. They, no. just, they want to do it because they can. And it's as, exactly as you said, it's this curiosity. Like, let's, let's just go further because that's a human instinct.
0: It's like when Oppenheimer built the nuclear bomb. I mean, should that really have been done? Well, the, you know, the, the argument, the intelligent argument is if they didn't do it, the Nazis would have done it. So, Mm -hmm. yes, it's important that the allied forces developed it first. But I think that that's the the job of – I think there's all sorts of roles that are played in a society – and there's the, the innovator, and there's the scientists, there's the people that are constantly pushing the boundaries of technology, and then there's the, the social engineers who step back yeah. and go, okay, let's look at the repercussions of this, and how do we mitigate the, the negative aspects of it? How do we figure out how to integrate these ideas into society and use them to enhance society, and what is being done to sort of manage that, and what is being done to, 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 to minimize the negative impact? Yeah, that is a good way of putting it. They're, they're different functions. And you yeah, there's, yeah, there's just a constant, there's no one thing that's awesome. There's things that are awesome and then there's repercussions that are like, yeah, but then there's this. Well, there's that, but then there's mm, this this part of it that we're not really comfortable with. And there's this sort of dance that we do as we build society and as society continues Mm -hmm. to grow and expand. And our ability to do things changes. Our ability to access information, our ability to accomplish goals, our ability to transmit ideas is so much quicker and faster and there's these repercussions to that that were before this this day and age were really unexplored because they weren't available so we don't really know the long-term repercussions of children being able to access porn because they really didn't
1: have it yes it's new we never yes. we don't know what that leads to Exactly.
0: Yeah. weird world it's
1: a weird world steve hilton strange that times is a good good summary that's why you tooth and claw resisted <laughs> yeah, i know and this is yeah. definitely going back in the door <laughs> but the, the way i agree to it, like if i'm away I need a phone. Then they can get hold of me. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And then you could shut it off occasionally. Yeah, but just give I'm...
0: it to very few people. You have to have a burner phone. You have to have a phone that you give to people that could possibly be annoying. So that at any given time, if it fell into the ocean, you'd be like, eh, whatever, with that fucking phone, you know. And then have a phone that you only give to your family and your close friends. Yeah.
1: Well, one of the things is that, that really puts me off, I just can't. There's something about my kind of useless, sort of fat, stubby finger. i just hopeless with, with touch screens. Mm. that's the and all, all you can get is touch screen so when that's we were one in of hawaii
0: the- you threw your fucking ipod <laughs> at, at your computer <laughs> and fucked up the screen you were so frustrated steve got uh you know i have a regular ipod with the click wheel the wheel i like yeah. that yeah i like, the, I, I like oh, that oh that's right exactly yeah like the new one i like that but the the new ones the ipod touches yes i don't i don't find them as they're not as easy to use when them at the gym i find them to be frustrating you right. know But you you got a hold of one of those because you couldn't get your regular iPod. You got so mad, you threw it at
1: your fucking computer. I did. The mark is there. It reminds (laughs) me of my techno rage every single day. But you're
0: not a rageful guy,
1: which is so crazy, because you're normally the
0: last person I would expect to get violent and throw something (laughs) and get crazy. But it was an
1: iPod that did it to you. I know. It was weird. But I do with technology, as people who know me and work with me will testify. You're very Unabomber-esque in that way. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) I better
0: watch it. There's uh, a great documentary on the Unabomber and how he became who he is. I don't want to get into it because I've talked about it on the show before, but uh, it's called The Net, and it's, uh, I think it's German. I forget what country, but it's available with subtitles. But basically, he was a part of the LSD studies at Harvard. They cooked his brain. That's Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski. The guy that... Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he was turned in by his own brother. His own brother recognized the writing in the manifesto, and he he realized that his brother
1: had gone insane. Is like, I think this is probably my brother that's doing this. Wow, because I wasn't here then, but that was so I don't have a a sense of it being. Obviously, I know know what happened, but I don't get a sense of what a big deal it was.
0: It was scary for a lot of people. In in America,
1: when that happened.
0: Well, it was scary for a lot of people also because of who he was attacking. That he was attacking people that were technological innovators. He was attacking people that were involved in the distribution of technology. And he believed that... And in a lot of ways, correctly believed that there was something going on right now where people were creating technology and this technology would eventually do bad things to the human race and to the biological existence that we currently exist in. You know, this this sort of like established way of being and living that we consider being, you know, inherent to being a human being. And he felt like these people were the enemies of, of humanity because they were fostering technology and creating That's intu- technology. I
1: didn't really know that that was what was behind all that. That's yeah, he intu- just
0: wa- he went too far ahead. He got wacky. Instead of living in the moment and dealing with the moment, he just saw this, this attack by the biological humans uh-huh. uh, or on the biological humans by technology, which essentially I kind of see his point in a way... I don't see his point as far as, like, attacking people that are creating technology, but if you really extrapolate where we are right now and where we're going, this symbiotic relationship that we have with technology where people are afraid to leave their phones behind, the phones will eventually become Google Glass, Google Glass will become an implant, an implant will become, well, you know, Steve, you've got good news and bad news. The good news is you have a year to live, okay? The, the bad news is you have cancer, The good news is we have an artificial body that we have created that we're going to put your body into. The bad news is it lasts forever. So we're going to take, or is it the good news? You know, this what it is is a new world that we're living in, where we're going to have weird choices that never existed before, and a lot of the people that are involved in oh, Google, mm-hmm. they hired Kurzweil, yeah. Ray Kurzweil, who is the proponent, the number one proponent of this sort of transcendental moment where we become one with computers where we become one either with some sort of a computer interface or we download our consciousness into an artificial body or we figure out a way to exist in some sort of a virtual reality that is eternal and there's that's a lot of people
1: feel like that's where things are going to go yeah if you i give mean us the a science years. fiction is really not fiction you know it's definitely happening yeah i think that all. the the well, I i talked to to a friend of mine about this a b- quite a bit which is if you think about i'm just interested that there is okay the of that's an extreme example and yeah. i wasn't i didn't realize that it was um so focused on technology but there isn't really a people like it generally speaking there isn't really a movement a sort of anti-technology movement that not certainly not that i'm aware of if you think back to you know the um I can't remember exactly when it was, but when you had the sort of Industrial Revolution and the Luddites, you know, smashing up machines that were, you know, taking jobs away from people and mm-hmm. in their view really kind of damaging society. There's, that was a, sort of quite a big movement. Yeah. Okay, it didn't get anywhere and, it, you know, history sort of made them irrelevant. But there was a movement with a name and an organization that did stuff. What did they want? What was their, their idea? The te- the, I think that specifically it was the the new equipment like the weaving you know in the, during the industrial revolution in england then the machines that were now being used to to do the work that had been done by people and they they objected to that, Isn't that and they, incredible and they would literally physically smash up the machines that was i think one of the things they did and i'm sure there's people with a better study of history that can give you a better picture but that was they were called the luddites i think named after the person that that set them up someone um called Ludd i think um uh, and I don't know how big it was, but it you know, it's big enough that it's something we still Know about and it's part of the history of that of that era and There's nothing like that now Not not to my knowledge where you, you don't have people going out and smashing up cell phone towers no. to make a point about technology Well, I think it's what we were saying Because I think earlier. people like it You know, it's kind of it helps them in their lives and they like it
0: for but, the most part Yeah, I mean there's a lot of benefits. There's a lot yeah. of benefits to technology, But I think it's what we were talking about earlier, that maybe back then they they, they didn't have enough information to draw upon, and they saw it as being this direct threat
1: to their livelihood. Yeah, I think that was a big part of it.
0: Yeah, and I think today we're, we're, we're sort of forced into this realization that it's neither good nor bad, but rather something that needs to be managed. And there's good aspects to it, and then there's negative aspects to it, and ultimately you have to figure out what outweighs what, and how to lean it towards the positive, how to manage it in a way that it goes towards the positive. And I think that's the case that we were talking about with children watching television. You know, I know, know, there's the Waldorf school, um, my oldest daughter was in the Waldorf school system for a while, and... There's a lot of wackiness to that. Like, they didn't believe in any technology. They didn't believe in any video games. But been, they've proven that video games can enhance cognitive function. They, they, the neural pathways that are created by stimulating video games can actually they, they mimic games like chess. You know, like it's problem-solving games, games that stimulate the imagination and creativity. Like they exist, video games can be used in that same function. This idea that all video games are bad, and then I found out that the guy who founded this whole Waldorf system was a yep. channeler. He was a channeler. Like I am getting a voice. There's a spirit is talking to me. Like, oh, you fuckhead! God <laughs> I didn't
1: damn it. know that. Yeah. So I'm very key. Our, our oldest son. You know, you know, he's in. Um uh, the yeah. same system, yeah. yeah. that system is created uh, by kooks,
0: Unfortunately, it's a wonderful system in a lot of ways. The school that uh, my kid was at was yeah. great, but the reality is that it's founded by fuckheads. <laughs> you know, founded by crazy people. That I'm know. definitely going to look into that. That's yeah, an a channeler. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. I'll tell you the full deal when we get okay. off the air. I'll okay. tell you the, the, the conversations that I had with these fucking people, where I'm like, what, 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 what? Channeler you know, there's a lot of evidence that there's channelers. No, there's not actually there's none There's zero evidence that anybody's ever been a fucking channeler, you know I have a friend who he loves to believe in stupid shit, and uh, he just he's not a good critical thinker He's a great guy, but he's not a good critical thinker. He's the first one that comes to me with a fucking ghost story You know, it's, and he, he came to me with this psychic thing this guy knew all about my grandmother man the guy was real the guy's legit. I go Do you know about your grandmother? He goes, yeah. I go, so the guy told you some shit you already knew. What kind of fucking use is that? What, are you, what You're just talking to some guy. Who's, you're playing games. You're playing a trivia game. Playing a trivia game about things you already know about your own family. This is ridiculous. Like, what kind of a question did he ask you? Like, these <laughs> leading questions that you answered in some way that he was able to concoct the story of your life. And people want to find that these things are correct. They yeah. want to find that someone is. But there's almost no evidence whatsoever that anybody has a functional psychic energy and method that is is reproducible. And it doesn't mean that I don't believe in the potential for psychic, psychic uh, powers, because I think there's some weird connection with human beings. It's probably emerging, much like a lot of our senses emerge. I think there's there's weird senses that... Are emerging with human beings like for instance they've statistically shown in in a, in a way that's measurable that people can tell when people are looking at the back of their head yeah you could tell when someone's looking at when someone's looking behind you at you that, that people can sense it in a way that is more measurable than chance so i think there's probably something there there's probably something when you think about someone and they call you that happens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, I've, I've thought about people and all of a sudden i get an email from them out of the blue i haven't talked to them in years and all of a, sudden a person i was that popped into my mind like wow I wonder what that guy's up to boom we get an email from him. hey man what's up like wow what is that mm-hmm. is that a weird sort of a distant connection that will eventually one day be much more strong i don't know i don't know but i know that a fucking channeler starting a school that tells you not to use cell phones and don't watch TV. That guy's a silly bitch. This is ridiculous.
1: That <laughs> doesn't make any sense, you know. Yeah, I think that. I think you're right that. Um the, anything that's really extreme is, is, is just not going to be right. I think. And, and, they, and so we definitely don't implement the extreme version yeah, of what of course the, what they recommend. That it's a question of sense. balance, right? Mm-hmm. With all things,
0: even with reading, you can't read all day, every day. Go outside, go yeah, for a definitely. walk, go ride a bike, go do something. Get out. You got to get out. You got to move you got to And I think that that's the case with all human experiences I mean if you're a person who's uh, there was a thing recently that they um, They did a thing that they did about sex and about porn and that people who watch porn They they actually have less brain matter. They have less matter in their brain people that are obsessed with porn and you know when you think about it, it's probably because the, the, the whatever they're doing what, whatever part of their brain they're stimulating they're constantly focused on that and all the other shit about wondering about existential questions the, you know the, the, the purpose of man the, the, the idea of infinity all these weird questions that normally bounce around inside a person's brain they're completely
1: non-existent because you're just trying to find the yeah. next person to jerk off to you just but you bet that guy the other week that came out in the government which Did guy? you see? He was in the Environmental Protection Agency, I think, and he was watching. He was. He was. He lost his job. He was watching porn, like I think six hours a day or something, <laughs> in the office, in the government office. And you just think, what, what is going on? That that's even possible. <laughs> well, people are listening to this podcast in their office. Guaranteed, <laughs> they
0: shouldn't be. They should be working. If yeah, it's six hours or a day watching be.
1: porn, maybe they should be. That's like, you know.
0: Yeah, it's that, ridiculous. But there, EPA, <laughs> EPA employee downloaded 7,000 files of porn at work and watched them two to six hours a day. Okay. Well, I don't think that guy was doing a good job of protecting the environment, I'll tell you that, <laughs> that fucking freak. I'm not surprised. If you give people the freedom to, to move around like that, that's what they wind up doing. People are nuts, man. You give people the freedom to just do whatever the fuck they want. You know, A lot of times they do things that just aren't smart. Yes. That's just the way human beings are. Especially if you give them, it's like we were talking about as far as professors or police officers or anybody in some sort of an ultimate position where they don't have enough supervision. They don't have enough, just, they have too much influence over others and they don't have enough oversight. You wind up being this fucking guy who's supposed to be paying attention to our drinking water and he's just beating off all day. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, and then there's all. It's also a job thing too. It's like how many how many jobs, you know, you know really should there be for the Environmental Protection, protection Agency, and how, how many people do they really need to do those jobs? If this guy can, yeah, but well, that's it
1: exactly. Yeah, what is he doing there? Well, we know what he's doing there. What's the if know, this, know,
0: guy what's this guy can? Yeah, be doing.
1: If this guy can work in the EPA and he can still like hold down that job. And he's beaten off six hours a day. And this was for years, apparently. It wasn't like just he went nuts and just one week for whatever reason went for it. It was like for years. I wonder how many people are listening to this
0: podcast right now that are like, fuck, that's me. I want to get busted. (laughs) If you're in an office and like especially if your computer is facing like you and you're looking at the door so you get a clean shot at anybody walking in. You know, for men, men are freaks. You, know, you give a guy the opportunity to just beat off in his office, a lot of times dudes are gonna take it up. You know, Environmental Protection Agency. Jesus Christ, what a weird world we live in. Where that's an issue. You imagine if, like, it was back in the day where, uh, you know. Um, a, a guy who was uh, assigned to work for the, the city water department in the 1930s they found 7000 pornography books in his office <laughs> I'm like frank what the fuck are you doing man like oh, i'm getting crazy with all this reading <laughs> i think in a lot of ways what we're dealing with when it comes to pornography when it comes to the internet when it when it, when it comes to just technology itself is we're we're dealing with these things that have influence over people in a way that we're not designed to process. You know, we're not designed to process movies, a giant screen where explosions and mm-hmm. you know, spaceships and all this stuff that's not real, but we're seeing it in a way that's much more impactful than real life. We're seeing it right in front of us. Yep. You know, and I think that that, that fucks with people's heads. You know, I think that pornography, the ability to at any time you want just go online and watch people have sex like that you know that you could do that it's at your little fingertips especially if you're like sexually starved Mm -hmm. you know if you're like you really want sex and you can't get it and you know i can watch it right now i'm gonna watch sex real quick oh i'm watching sex that's a weird thing with human beings it's a weird thing that we've sort of painted ourselves into this corner we have all this technology as we're talking about before it's like we we have
1: access to it and it's all, it's about managing it, really. But the sex thing is also, you know, like, it reminds us that we're just animals, really, because you've got, I remember, you know, really struck, My uh, kids love nature programs. You watch these nature programs, and basically, they're about sex and eating. That's yeah. what happens. That's what happens in nature. That's what all these, that's, that's the majority of the scenes that you see. Yeah, that is nature what it programs. is. programs. And so, we're just, um, in that sense, animals. Well, we certainly are, and that makes... So it's the same, it's, 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 it's not, I don't think we should be surprised that it's such a um, dominant part of, of life no no
0: we definitely shouldn't be surprised but we're also much more complex than the average animal that's where things get really weird where where things get really weird is that yes we are animals but we are also animals with computers we're also animals that are aware that we're animals so we have to think about our actions we're self-aware we're aware of the influence that others have on us and we're constantly expanding that influence you know so we're not just animals We're, we're animals with computers that may become part of machines That's the thing that freaks me out the most, is the symbiotic connection that human beings have to technology and the potential for developing artificial technology or artificial Mm -hmm. life. I think that we we give birth to that. I mean, Marshall McLuhan once said that human beings are the sex organs in the machine world. And I I Mm. always wonder if we're not some strange caterpillar that becomes a butterfly that has no idea what the fuck it's doing. We're making some sort of a technological cocoon, thinking that we're just uh, doing my thing, running around, looking at porn. No, you know, you're a part of this gigantic machine that's processing and pushing for the innovation of technology. And the innovation of technology will eventually give birth to a life form. They're constantly working on trying to map out the human mind, yeah. duplicate the functions of the human b- mind in some sort of a synthetic process, and we're not
1: anywhere close right now. But the way yeah. technology accelerates, well, it accelerates, exactly, yeah, it's it's uh, it feels unlikely that that's not going to happen. Yeah, I heard this. I, I
0: read this article by this really grumpy fuck who's an interesting guy. He's a smart guy, but he's also just a Probably a lonely shithead, and he was mocking Ray Kurzweil and mm-hmm. how Ray Kurzweil knows nothing about the human mind, and he was talking about the complicated functions of the human mind and the the way the human mind processes proteins, and that this is barely understood, but what I read from this and what I got out of this is like i don 't think this guy understands that the biological functions are not going to matter if they can be. If these biological functions can be completely irrelevant because they've figured out some sort of an artificial way to duplicate all of the exact same synapse firing mechanisms. Like without all the biological functions, the processing of the proteins, the interacting with the hormones and human neurotransmitters, all that stuff is great if you're using a body. But this guy was so hung up on the fact that Kurzweil's wrong because we don't understand how the human body works. Well, no, no, he's not. Because he's just, you're just talking yeah. about bodies. Yeah, bodies are super complicated. We haven't totally figured it out yet. But we might not have to. If we can figure out a way to do all the things that a body does, but do it with a computer or do it with technology or do it with some sort of quantum computer, some sort of quantum computer that's contained in an artificial body that can completely replicate the functions of consciousness, the functions of, of, of emotions, of interaction, of curiosity, of creativity. If you can develop... An artificial computer that's creative, you're not, it doesn't matter luteinizing hormones and all this shit that you're bitching about. You're just bitching because you're showing your intelligence. You're trying to show people how smart you are yeah. by criticizing a known genius because you're not <coughs> a known genius.
1: I mean, that's essentially what you're doing. Yeah, and it seems just superficial. I know nothing about it. But the. The, the, the body part of it feels like, the, the, you know, the, there's a ton of progress right there. The sort of biomechanics and robotics and stuff, that is easy compared to the brain.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It is. The, the, what's, what they do know about the mind and they do know the, about the body is comparatively rudimentary when you think about what we know about a clock. Mm -hmm. We know everything about a clock. You know, you could buy a a Swiss watch, and there's a man out there that knows every single function of that watch, knows how it interacts, knows exactly what's going on, tick-tock, tick-tock. We don't know that about the body yet. You're right. You're correct. But we're not going to have to. We're not going to have to. Because they're going to come out with some shit that's way better than a body. They're going to come out with some shit that's way stronger than a mind, and it's going to be artificial. And one day it's going to go, hello, and you're going to go, oh, shit. And... (laughs) Why exactly are you guys living like this? And you're like, oh, well, I don't know. We're just kind of going on momentum. Just just how we do it. I don't think this is the best way to go about this. I don't think so either. I have a better idea. Oh, great. And then this fucking thing is going to take over. And then we're going to have real yes. problems. Then he's going to really reform our campaign finance laws
1: to have a better system. <laughs> we're not going to have any voting.
0: reach of his mind, it's not going to be any voting. We're going to know what's no. important and what's exactly. not. There was a guy once, and I've brought this up before, but... It's, it's important to note there was a guy that we, we talked about in the podcast who had been bitten by a shark and the shark had taken his arm and taken his leg and he had this carbon arm and mm-hmm. he was moving his fingers around and he, had this, and he was standing there talking with this fake arm and his fake leg about how great it is the technology has provided him with a way to still be mo- mobile and functional even though he had been attacked by a shark. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, wow, this is fascinating. This guy is like kind of a cyborg. Um, what we see is a man with an artificial arm, and the, the story was about how well they had created this arm to the point where this guy was living a totally normal mm-hmm. life and you know, was functional and mobile and could take care of himself, even though his arm had been bitten off by a monster. And then I thought about, well, what if it was both legs? Okay, and then they figured out artificial legs. Who would say no to that? Nobody. Give him some artificial legs. Now he can move around. Okay, what if it was his whole body? We say, listen, man, we're going to take your head we're going to stick it on a robot body, but you're still going to be you. Oh, okay. All right, I'll take it. Okay, we're, we're sticking your head on a robot body, but listen, we've got a problem. The robot body is rejecting your brain, but we found an artificial <laughs> brain that works just like your brain. We're going to download your consciousness to this artificial brain. You won't even know the difference. Okay. Well, then, who are you and what are you? What are you? Are you a person still? If you are your thoughts and your personality and your memories downloaded into some creation some sort of a new thing that they've done that mimics all the functions of the human mind without any of the biological limitations
1: what are you yeah i remember that it's so funny you talking about that because it reminds me years ago when i was doing my interviews to to go to oxford university and i had an interview with a philosophy professor and he gave me this scenario which i now know is a famous philosophical thing it's called the experience machine and this 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 construct very much like what you're talking about which is like if we could put you in a machine that gave you all the experiences of a fantastic life uh, but it would be a machine doing it would you choose to do it and i remember saying um no that's i wouldn't want to do that because I'd feel I'd want to have really exp- done it myself. And if you're just in a machine, that's not the same thing. Ah, oh, but what if the machine made you feel like that you were... Whatever I said, there was some kind of comeback. And in the end, I just remember getting really frustrated. I said, look, I don't know. That's why I want to come and learn about philosophy, so I can figure this stuff out. But I have no <laughs> idea. I kind of lost my temper. I, I never did figure it out. Did you throw really, your phone out? <laughs> I, it was way before <laughs> the phone era. But it was just... Uh, it, there comes a point when I just find it really hard to... To, um, to sort of even to go very far with this And I just think, oh well, whatever Let's just sort of get on with you know, practical life today
0: Well, it's essentially It's the Dunbar's number of philosophical discussion Our minds are limited In right. our, our ability to Sort of take these ideas in We don't have the capacity To, to, to extrapolate it's, it's too much So this, uh, this concept of Recreating reality In an indistinguishable manner it's too weird it's too but i think it's something we better start
1: talking about because it's coming yeah and i'm I, you know i'm really happy that you are and i think it's really important that other people are i'm just saying i'm not it's way I more important feel, than other people are doing it than me <laughs> well, it's, it's, <laughs> in they, the hierarchy yes. i think that you know a lot more about it than i do and you've read more about it than i, I have and um i just think that is yeah it's really important that, that w- generally we Talk about it and keep, you know, a really strong sense of awareness of how these things might change stuff And a lot of the time it will be for the better and that's great, but we should just talk about it Well, I had the opportunity to talk to Kurzweil for an hour and a
0: Mm -hmm. half and I sat down and interviewed him about these things And it was really fascinating. We had a great conversation, but This guy is not thinking about negatives at all. All he's thinking is a gung-ho, full-blast pedal to the metal <laughs> he mean, he's taking like he takes giant bags of supplements every day because he's an older man right. he's just trying to keep his biology alive long enough to see this this new birth of technology and when it gets really crazy what he's trying to do also is he's trying to make his father come back to life his father died when he was young, mm. and he believes that if they figure out a way to recreate a person from memories, from just the, the knowledge of who this person was, images, that you're going to be able to recreate this guy in some sort of an artificial form. I mean, it's one of the things he's discussed. This, he wants to see his father again, and the idea that he can recreate his father technologically. From so from yeah. his memory. from no. all sorts of different things from memory from all the the data that he knows stuff, yeah. from recorded stuff. It, one yeah. of the most fascinating concepts that, that I've ever um, heard when it comes to the increase, increasing power of computing is that they're going to get to a point one day if computers continue to accelerate. They're going to get to a point one day where they can take into account all the positions of all the objects and all the things that, are, that exist all over the world as data. And from them, extrapolate where things will be and where things were. So by where things were, meaning knowing everything in this room, where it's at in this position, they'll be able to figure out how it all got here who moved Jamie moved this over there and and Brian picked that up and turned it on and they'll they'll literally be able to calculate the past they'll be able to by what we have here by everything we have here and what we know they'll be able to to calculate the actions of the past madness we're running out of time that's what he's holding his hand up
1: okay well I'm I'm pretty pleased to hear that because at
0: this point I'm just like okay that's
1: madness it is
0: i don't understand it they'll be able to look at at the ground itself look at the the content of the dirt the the pollution in the ocean the carbon in the air the distance between these two trees and the amount of pencils that are on your desk and
1: they'll be able to figure out the past because computers (laughs) will be so far advanced it just reminds me of that line i can't remember which woody allen film where someone's like how does he asked how does he asked his parents how does the tv work or something. I, I don't, what do I know about the, how the TV works? I can't even figure out how the can opener works. <laughs> yeah, I just well, think like you know, I'm, the TV baffles me. This stuff, you know. Yeah, impossible. well, it should.
0: It should. And and it's it's only going to get more and more baffling. We're stuck with these dumb monkey brains. Yes, that's the problem. We're the the dumb monkeys that are sitting around here waiting for things to change. And when things do change, we will be just as weird as. Some australia Pythagoras if you put him in a time machine from a million years ago and, and threw him into the fucking burbank mall This thing would be running around going. What the fuck is this because things change because things grow and things evolve Including humans. We're just along for the ride so I think the real key to human beings and it's the most difficult aspect of life is to get really good at this moment Get really good at just existing I in the do moment and I definitely agree it.
1: with that. It's fucking hard to do, right? Yeah, it's great. It's a great way of thinking about it because it just means that um, you don't worry so much because you can. You, you know, there's stuff that you can understand and relate to and and be be good at and enjoy. I think that's totally right.
0: And there's some power in worry. You can't you can't worry about worrying. Because worry causes preparation preparation causes you to cover your bases and remove a lot of paranoia because you relax Like one of the the best things you could ever do if you're worried about something is handle it You know you handle it you deal with it. You don't have to worry about it anymore So I don't think there's anything wrong with worrying a little bit, but I think it's like all these other things that we've discussed It's a balancing act there's, there's a, there's a, Don't go crazy and watch porn all day. But if you watch a little bit, I think you're going to be okay. You know, don't don't get nutty and sit in front of the TV 24 hours a day. But watch Game of Thrones every now and then. I don't think it's going to hurt you. You know, what? Do, do get outside every now and then. But don't stay there. When it gets cold, you need to get indoors. You know, the world's big. It's a lot of shit going on. And it, it's simply a matter of there's so much happening and there's so much to take in and there's so much going on that there, there is not one good or bad. There's just a bunch of different things happening all at once.
1: Yeah. And that's why I totally agree with you that the more you can give people the freedom to experience and enjoy it, and to kind of, you know, write their own story about how they, how they do stuff yeah, and not be told what to do by others, the better. Indeed. Crowd pack. There you go. Crowd
0: com. that is the website if uh, if you're interested in that and the, the elections are today yeah um, shockingly little discussion both online and on the news about them um, but if you're uh, if you're curious go to cl- crowdpack c r o d p a c.com and uh, and get your voting guide go go there and and click on it and enter in all the information and find out what's going on. It's really I I,
1: I did check this out. I think it's pretty pretty cool what you've done. Yeah, Your I just pro- want to political say it's, priorities. It's, it's, it's you know, it's really early days. This is the first yes. little test version of it. We're just doing it for California. So I'm sorry if people are listening outside California. It won't work so well for you. I should say that because yeah. it's a test, but we'll be back for the uh, midterm elections in the fall. With a, with a whole new set of things and data for politicians all over the country. Um, so September, we'll be back with a much more uh, developed and a much sort of bigger and better product. And I think it's going to um, really shake things up a bit. That's the plan anyway.
0: I think it will, too. I think it will, too. And we need to get you together with the Young Turks. Yeah, that something. sounds great. Yeah, I, I checked that out after
1: you mentioned the it. The Wolfpack thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's Pretty on the right cool. track
0: when it comes to that stuff, too. Steve, thank you very much. It's thank you, Joe. That was been three been hours. Huge three Three hours hours. three hours just flew right by look at that bam three o'clock thanks to our sponsors thank you to uh, stampsgot.com go to stamps.com enter in the code word J-R-E and get your $110 bonus offer which includes a digital scale and up to $55 of free postage thanks also to LegalZoom go to LegalZoom.com and use the code word Rogan at checkout for savings and thanks also to Ting go to Rogan.ting.com and save $25 off of any new device. That's Rogan.ting.com. We will be back. Uh, this is it for the rest of the week. We'll be back next week and uh, with a lot of fascinating shit. Uh, Ensign Anyway will be here next Wednesday. That's the next podcast. Until then, go fuck yourself. No, don't do that. Be nice. Be nice to each other. Live in the moment, my friends. Enjoy it. Much love. Big kiss. Bye.